There it is. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Coco Talk would like to express its sincerest gratitude for the patrons who sponsor our show. Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Christina Armstrong, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, Fedor Stamen, Grant Leedy, Jason Bucata, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Reichard, Kyle Etter, Mal Funk, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Richard Lorbieski, Rob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Bjork. Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Lindner, Tom C., and Tom S. Thank you so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made... We're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Coco Talk show. It's a very special occasion for happy birthday. 40 years of the originally named TRS-80 Clower computer. And uh, we're still letting a few people into the panel, including legendary game designer Chet Simpson. We're going to go around and see what everybody's doing, what everybody's been up to, and uh, celebrate uh, the color computer and its birthday, along with Basic 09, and also yesterday was the uh, Color Computer 3's 34th birthday. So we've got a lot to celebrate, and uh, let's uh, say hello to the panel. Hello, stars. Hollywood hello. Squares. Hello. Hello. Hello, Gene. <laughs> I'm more of a, a John Davidson, I think. Uh, wasn't he the, the, the host later? Oh, I thought he you was. Meant- I thought you meant match game. 
Well, we might do the Newlywed game later and see how well you know your uh, Coco... Uh, uh, Soulmate? <laughs> Yeah, oh, exactly. I, I thought I thought we were going to do the dating game, and our first contest, contestant was going to be David Ladd. <laughs> oh, isn't this more like the Gong Show? I think, yeah, exactly. Well, we should see if we should have Ken and Jason and see uh, if if they really do know each other. Um, play a version of that game, but uh, on the panel uh, up up there at the top left of your screen uh, is uh, Patrick Rick. Uland, I'm going to screw up your name, my friend, but how are you doing? How are you doing? Oh, fairly well. Happy 40th, everyone. Happy 40th, and I think we do have a little echo uh, coming from your end, but uh, on your speaker. So maybe your uh, laptop speaker is uh, is also on, but, but it's great to uh, only sometimes. I don't know what it is. But we'll, we'll come back to that and see if it keeps happening. No worries. We've got uh, from O Canada... The, one of the uh, developers of the nitrous, the legendary Nitrous 09 OS 9 operating system that Stevie Stroh loves so well, it is L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, everyone. Happy birthday to the various Cocoa-related uh, objects, Cocoa 1, Cocoa 3, Basic 9. In honor, I'm wearing my oldest uh, Rainbow Fest t-shirt from 1986 in Chicago, the very first one I went to. And holy cow, did I have trouble putting that on. I've gained a lot of weight since then. I don't know if I'll be able to get <laughs> it off afterwards. I might have to fit. cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Anyway, welcome everyone. Great. Well, we didn't have him on the panel, I don't think, last week, and we missed him. Uh, a guy with a garage and a lot of stuff in it, Mr. Ron Delvo. Hello. Happy hey. birthday. Happy birthday. Great. What do you got there, Ron? Is that like at a. This is a Coca One 16K Extended Color Basic saying hello to everybody. This right. one uh, was used well. Mine's probably used more. I don't know. This Almost has a, no black paint on it. Or no gray a, paint on it on the keyboard portion. This was in a school, so. It Great. belongs in a museum. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, I don't know how old Drivewire is, but it's getting uh, reborn by our next guest. And uh, this is Mike, Michael Mike Furman. Um, how are you doing, Mike? It's uh, it's also the one-year anniversary since we were at uh, VCF West. That's right. Going on. First, I'd like to say, happy birthday, little guy. Happy birthday, little guy. We have lots of memories together. And yes, uh, we did uh, VCF West last year. Um, just we had a great time, but I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't pull it together for this year. They're they're going right now on VCF West doing 6502 assembly language. Who needs that crap? <laughs> <laughs> well, great. We might talk about VCF West uh, later today or, or on the caboose since it is going on virtually today. And uh, and, and our friend uh, Jim Rain pointed out that um, there's a presenter later this afternoon who is one of the original developers of the 6800. Uh, yeah, Bill, uh, Bill Mensch and uh, also Bill Hurd. So... Yeah, the Bill Mint one actually that has a little bit of a cocoa connection because he worked at Motorola on the six eight hundred, then he jumped ship to Moss yep. to do the six five oh two. So and the six eight hundred of course is the predecessor to both the sixty eight oh three and the MC ten and the six eight oh nine the cocoa. Great, so that might be a good uh, good post show wrap up conversation. Um but somebody we never save for the post show, uh we always put up at the front is our 
high score guru, Mr. Nicholas Moroda. I'm good at reporting them. I'm not good at obtaining them, but I can definitely <laughs> uh, tell you what's happened in the game high score uh, game news. Great. How well, you doing, guys? Good. Anything else uh, going on with you? What What is the fortieth? We'll come around later and talk more about this. But uh, forty years? Uh, can you believe it? I'm only twenty nine, so I don't really know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Well, also turning 29 today, Jason Reichert. How are you doing, Jason? Oh, we're doing great. You know, uh, we got the 40th anniversary. I have my I have my silver uh, multi pack here that matches matches the Coco one. If I can, but uh, that I obtained at Dayton Hamvention last year, so still works. And uh, just remember, this episode uh, does does include uh, David Ladd. It always You've does. Been yeah, no extra charge, I may add. Great. Well, uh, I don't have a good segue <laughs> for our next <laughs> guest because uh, our next guest is uh, typically the backup uh, streamer for the show. He's certainly been helping me uh, prepare for this show uh, today. He knows a lot about a lot of things. Uh, he just bought a motherboard uh, yesterday and he's He's tinkering on that. Uh, how are you doing, Mark? And welcome to the show. Hi. Happy birthday, Coco. I should say, is it, uh, I acquired a stack of motherboards, but they're like Pentium 3s and Celerons and don't know what the heck I'm going to do with them. Also, I want to do a big shout out to Mark, too, for uh, helping us do the news segment, the extra two and a half hours we added to the other four and a half <laughs> last week. <laughs> So uh, thanks, thanks Mark, for pulling week. that together. Well, at least we don't have to do the news th this week. Not, not separately. <laughs> not all of that. <laughs> well, uh, next on the panel, uh, he sometimes has a frog in his throat. Uh, a musician that... Uh, <laughs> not today. Today he's just uh, moving lots of crates filled with bombs in them. And... Uh, and be very careful out there, Brian. How are you doing? Kaboom! Happy birthday, Coco. I'm doing great. Wrong game. Hanging, I'm finally hanging my uh, screen door on uh, my new door on the house, so <laughs> taking a break. Great. Well, be careful with those boxes. Some of them actually have bombs inside them. I don't know if you knew that. but uh... I figured that out the hard way. <laughs> Well, uh, I, he I hesitate to introduce the, our next uh, panelist because, honestly, I get depressed at all of the great stuff he has and all the stuff he acquires. Brian, what, what will you show us today that will depress us that you have, uh, you have and we don't? <laughs> I don't know if I, what I have and you guys don't. I mean, I do have some, uh, some show and tell for later if we do get to that, though. But uh, I have a book that I acquired that I've been wanting to get for a while and... Uh, I also have a, a machine that I'd like to show that's kind of a predecessor to our happy birthday, Coco One, that I'd like to share later. All right. Well, we'll, we'll do some uh, updates and acquisitions later then. Yep. Um, Is that going to be Brian's new segment, Why I'm Better Than You? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about better. But, uh... <laughs> Just kidding. Yes, that's right before his episode of Hoarders. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I still think Ed Snyder hasn't beat on that part. Yes, he has quite a he has quite a 
quite a room full there he had there. So I wonder if it's still all there, if he's managed to tuck it all away. So, Well, a guy who just whipped up a game, you know, on his spare time uh, here, um, uh, legendary game designer Chet Simpson, uh, looking fantastic. Uh, what what can we say about Digger 3? It's really uh, coming along and, and uh, been watching some of your videos on Facebook. How are you doing these days? You are on. I think you're muted there, Chet. One moment, please. Listen, deposit one quarter. We will. <laughs> we will come right back to you, Chet. Um, I'll loop back to you. Uh, Grant, you're always in the car, and uh, <laughs> you're you're always going nowhere. So tell us, uh, where are you going? Where are you go- really going today? I am going home. That's where I'm heading to right now. So I'm heading home. How well, far? Please try to contain yourself. I've seen that same tree pass you four times now. Yeah, he's, a, he, he's actually in a Hanna-Barbera cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice green oh, screen, nice. Grant. That would be a good place for a zoom background of a car flipping over or something. When he runs, you hear bongos play. So, so Grant, were you out like storm chasing, like part of your job, or were you actually out, you know, you know, procuring cocoa stuff for the 40th anniversary? Uh, actually, I was doing a little, doing some errands and do, and getting the car washed and everything is where I was doing. So, I'll be home here probably in about 20 minutes. Great. Well, I think what we need right now are the the yin and yang of the cocoa community, the the excitement and the opposite of excitement. Uh, so first, let's let's hit a high note with our friend, the uh, in Grease Weasel user, David Ladd. Are you out there? And David, Hello. are you excited today? Why, yes, I am, everybody. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm ready to see where the train wreck will take us today. Are you ready? I hope you're ready, as I'm sitting here ready. And Nick is probably ready as well, aren't you, Nick? Nick Marentes, are you ready? (laughs) Yes. Good day, everyone. How are you? And and, I think Jason does a better job than you now, David. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm so ready. I've got my grease weasel ready to go, everyone, and my Diet Dr. Pepper all set and ready for action. Now, that's that's the real David. <laughs> oh, now, come on. David, David when are we going to have a grease weasel party? It's a tie. There's two of them. <laughs> well, be the real David Ladd, please stand up. That's all I got to say. Oh, don't worry. Sarah's already stated that she's blaming all of us for the changeover. <laughs> we'll, we'll we're getting a sex change. We are a public show right now. Remember that, guys. Yeah, not Discord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't don't forget. People can see us and hear us. Uh, no, just kidding. Um, I just wanted to say hello to Chet. Is see if you're out there, Chet. Are you? Can we hear you? Yeah, I think I got my uh, microphone uh, taken care of us. Having a little difficulty there. Uh, sometimes it does that. I'm not sure, really sure why this uh, uh, headset goes uh, internally mute. For some 
So, but yeah, I'm I'm doing good. Uh, I've been working on Digger, you know, uh, as much as I can uh, lately. I I have had some free time, obviously, with doing the videos, but you know, it's coming along good. Uh, you know, I appreciate everybody watching you know, in the comments and all that. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of time to to respond to a lot of them, but I I do try to get back at at some point. For some more. Okay, is there anything that you wanna do? You wanna do any kind of a a demo or anything that we should uh, save time for or or eat. Uh, Oh no no no! Uh, the the I, I think right now where we're at is that you know a couple of the uh, uh, game testers have uh, uh, received you know copies of it. You know Curtis and, and uh, uh, Paul have, have been playing some of it. You know I've got the uh, the upper levels done. So right now it's, it's less about you know demos and, and more about um, you know kind of getting everything cleaned up and and, and ready. I'm, I'm still playing around with a little bit of graphics, but you know the levels are almost complete. Uh, there's some tweaks that are being done to the uh, to the AI, so you know, once all that starts falling in place, you know, I'll start getting a lot closer and uh, <clears throat> do a couple of last-minute uh, demos. So, you know, okay. Well, we're looking we're, good though, and uh, that good. that tweak you did to the side digging really did help. Oh, good, good, game, awesome. So. Yeah, that's that. That was one of the key points. I'm, I'm still tweaking some of the the uh, input uh, on that to make it a little bit easier for uh, for the controls. So there, there's still some uh, uh, some stuff like that, that that has to go on. And you know, of course, every time you make a change like that, you have to go in and retest everything. You'll see me playing the same levels over and over again. You're gonna be so that's sick of this game by good. the time it's released. Oh, I already <laughs> really looking good. Yeah, <laughs> that's why developers don't play their own games, right? Yeah, they're sick of them by the time they come out. So. Yeah, I I do take some pleasure when I when you run into spikes on your video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of the areas where I'm making some tweaks. It is a little bit, uh, um, a little harder than it should be because there's a uh, on the last frame there's just these two little pixels that stick out uh, for it and it hangs there. And the problem with that is I use uh, pixel uh, level collision detection uh, for the main sprite, so it picks that up really easily and it just has to go away. So. Yeah, it'll be a little bit easier in, in respect. That's why there's you know an easy and a hard mode now, uh, because there, there were some aspects of the game where you know I, I can just go crazy with some of the puzzles and stuff on here. It's just damn near impossible to complete one of the levels. Um, but uh, you, you want to make that uh, you want to get that balance so that you know you you, you do have some experienced game players uh, mm -hmm. in the community. So it, it makes it easier to to kind of hit both the people that are casual players as well as kind of the hardcore ones that really want the uh, you know to, to go at it. Of course, I think Curtis and Paul have been mostly on easy level. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think I told you I, I love that Batcave level on the preview, and it was great because you could get a little bit farther every time. So yeah. it, you know, eventually, I figured out a strategy to to finally get through the level, uh, but it was it was pretty rewarding, even though I was dying a lot at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th there's some aspects that have you know that that have been you know, included in uh, uh, you know the, the the load runner games and and the others that, that this has been you know based on that. Um, I would really love to get some of the the aspects of those those games in here with the way that they work, like teleporters and bombs and all that. But there's just not enough time, so I'm saving some of that stuff for my my next game, uh, which will be a, a much much bigger project than, than this one. Ooh, you heard it here first. Cool. You heard it here first. And Chet Simpson has another project coming up. Well, Richard Larbieski says in the chat that Digger Three cannot compare to Nightmare Highway. 
<laughs> he is so right. He is so right. I mean, there, there's just no comparison. I, Nightmare Highway is like the gem of everything. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the it's the pinnacle of, of Coco Gaming. I I just hope that one day I'll be you know, be able to achieve that type of greatness. You know? Yes. Well, does, uh, does Digger Three have a road or a car? <laughs> no, but it almost did have a uh, a mining cart in it, uh, like in uh, in Bagman where you ride it. Is your headset went out? Ah, uh, damn it! It's oh, back. No, it's back on again. I hear you. Okay, uh, but yeah, there's almost a mining cart uh, in, in this one, and, and kind of the flavor of, of Bagman, where you'd ride it from one side of the uh, of the map to the other. I just got lazy and didn't put it in. Now Frodo in the chat said uh, pointed out that uh, Digger Three does not have a song, so I mean that's clearly um, you know inferior to Nightmare Highway from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it has like hardly any fan base at all. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's no fan art. Well, actually, there was some fan art uh, early on, but there's been no music. Nobody's created like a music video or anything. So, you know, it, it's somewhat disappointing. But, and Richard, you know, I can make my own. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I, I was saying Richard's on fire. He's saying Digger 3 also doesn't support a real time clock. Actually, it does. <laughs> Technically, it does for the RNG. Well, there you go. Well, let me just uh, go through the, the live chat. I want to welcome everybody. We've got Kevin Holloway, Quinn Good, who says he can't wait uh, to watch this. I sort of need help. Oh, he's not talking about us. Okay. He's got a problem with his Coco, too. That would apply, though. That would. Yeah. Anybody watching us needs help. Applies to everybody on the panel, too. So, uh, James Jones says, uh, okay, he's talking about videos. Um uh, Nimble's out there, uh, Robert Murphy, uh, Al Hartman from Jersey is out there. Hey, Al. Uh, Can Ken Make It is uh, out there. Um, Nick Marota, who's, who's that guy? Nick Marota again. Curtis Boyle, L. Curtis Boyle. Frodo, we talked to him. James Diffendaffer is saying happy birthday. And the list goes on and on. Uh, Manny's talking about dumpster fire. Uh, that's white hot. Well, hopefully, as long as you can hear the dumpster fire, uh, you know, we're, we're doing pretty good. Um, and uh, Tim Halloran says uh, he's looking forward to Digger 3. So thanks, everybody. I think, uh, what do you guys want to do? You want to take a commercial, come back, uh, talk a little bit about the uh, birthdays, and, um, and then uh, later on uh, go into news? Let's try that. Here, we'll be right back after these words. Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord! Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, 
it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool cocoa periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco 123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's get you on the show, and let's talk about the Coco. Hi, I'm Tim, and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Right, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? We now return you to Talk. And we're back. Well, happy birthday to uh, the president of Glenside Color Computer Club, Mr. Eric Canales. Wanted to. Um, certainly mentioned that and i believe uh curtis boyle it's your mom's birthday is it not lots of yeah it was yesterday uh, her 75th actually so great well well on while we're on the topic of birthdays um maybe curtis if i could pick on you um what are your memories you had a original coco one and uh do you actually remember the the computer being released were you uh actually working uh with the trs80 uh, you know model one before that or um, you know, no, before that, I was working with Pets and Apple IIs. I, but I did see the Coco probably in its first year, that first Christmas, 1980, because um, I did go to the Radio Shack store. We had one not too far from me, and it was, you know, it was a computer with color graphics, which is better than the Pet was at the time. But it also had, uh, you know, sound and stuff built in, and, and color, unlike the Model One and Three. So I was quite interested, and in it. it was also cheap. That was another thing. So then I ended up, I ended up getting one in 1981 in the uh, early fall. So just before the start of school for 1981. Was that still uh, like 400 bucks at that point? Well, in Canada, it was $549 for 4K. <laughs> it's like $100 per K. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was it was expensive. It seems expensive, but I mean, the Apple was, you know, $1,400, $1,500, and the Pet was $800. And, you know, the, the VIC-20 wasn't actually out yet, and the Commodore 64 was several years down the road. So, I mean, at the, at the time, to get something with color semi-decent sound. I mean, the other option was the Ataris. Now, the Atari 400 wasn't too badly priced, but I absolutely hated that keyboard. There's no way I was going to buy that. And the Atari 800 was quite more expensive than the Coco was, so that kind of 
ruled that one out for me as well. Cool. Any, anyone else uh, on the panel want to talk about the uh, Coco One? Anyone have one? Well, I know Ron has one, and I know uh, Mike Furman I'll, has um, one. You, can I share? Birthday boy. Go ahead, Ron. Go ahead, Ron. Can I share? Yeah, yeah. Go, I can share. Go ahead first, Ron. Okay. Um, oh, you want to share uh, your yeah. screen? Screen, yeah. Sure. Let me know. Go ahead. Okay. Thank you, Ken. All right. All right. Ha. Wrong one. The right one. I'm Okay, great. There it is. Uh, the one I have is in beautiful shape, as you can see here. Mm -hmm. um, I got it back in the 1990s. It uh, was a 4K upgraded to uh, 16K. It's been in the box for most of its life. And um, it's just hardly ever been used. Hmm. It's very pretty. Wouldn't you say? I oh, would. there's none of it. You should compare that to mine. Battle hardened. Yeah, I have no, another one. No marks uh, where your wrists go, so it's definitely in good shape. No, it's. But it has a. Uh, it has a higher number here, twenty nine thousand for. Yeah, I'd have to guess that's probably an e board, or do you know? I don't know. I, ne I never opened this it one. Should be a D board because mine is uh, thirty three thousand, and it's a D board. Is it oh, okay? Yeah. Okay. I know and the positioning then, of the Radio Shack logo and the uh, the, uh, the way it, you know it's positioned on the left rather than the center, and also the color of the keyboards on it's got to be a D, C, D, or an E at least. And this is my used one. It was in the Rochester, New York school system, and as you can see, it has little rub marks all over it. There we go. That's it's got more. <laughs> yeah. And this has uh, eight thousand. Wow. Yeah. All right, that's it. Beautiful. Oh. Stop share. That was uh, that was pretty good. Mikey, did you want to uh, walk us through your collection? Sure. Well, my collection. I'm just gonna see uh, my my Coco one here. I don't know if you guys can see. There's almost no gay paint over there on the keyboard. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, and uh, I I got rid of the original keyboard. Um, I think. This is one of the, you know, one of the replacement ones that Radio Shack had, um, but I didn't pick it up at Radio Shack. I got it at the flea market. So, you know, I since I got rid of the Chicklet keyboard, it was pretty nice. And then we have stickers here. Like, uh, let's see, which one do I want to show you guys? Oh, like faster running, normal running. You know, different pokes for things. <laughs> and of course, um, we had some trouble. We had some trouble with ours so it has been to the service center but of course it's been opened you know but this guy still this, works but, I was going to ask uh, you Mikey on the top there where the, the RAM badge was do you have like a power LED or something or yes. is it just an empty hole yes so uh, the, the so my, my dad put that put the LED back in got rid of the badge because uh, he upgraded this machine to 64k and it's a D board Oh, that so, was not pleasant. You know, that's a little bit more <laughs> involved of uh, modification. So um, he just got rid of badge and said, hey, let's put an LED in it. Yeah, I, I had a friend do my, my D board because uh, you all know my soldering skills or lack thereof. 
Yeah, but uh, that one it actually involved like trace cuts on the circuit board to get 64K to work. It was not a simple mod. It was quite difficult. In fact, Radio Shack themselves, if you took a D board in and said I wanted to get 3264K later, they usually just swapped it out for an F board and didn't even bother yep. trying to upgrade it. No, my, my dad did that. So I spent uh, many, many hours on on this machine. That's and cool. I never, we never did get a Coco 3. So I basically R went straight from this guy to PC essentially. Richard Larvieski has two seaboards. Yeah, those are rare. And yeah. I didn't, I didn't show because it's uh, required in these parts. Oh, three, three, oh, five, four. Yep. All oh, right. Yes. No one asked what's the serial number. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm showing you the serial number. All right, Rob, back to you. Well, so anyone else show off your Coco ones? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Oh, oh, okay. Well, I got one here. Uh, now, Ken and I, we didn't start out with a Coco one. We we didn't get. We got a Coco two, one of the earlier ones. But I have over the years picked up a couple Coco ones, and this particular one has been on the show before. But I'll show it again. This is the um, this is the Coco one that I got at uh, Hamvention, and it has um, has a uh, reset switch modified onto the uh, front of it there. That's nice. Yeah. And um, it has a uh, af aftermarket uh, keyboard. I, I forget which one this is. Mark Data I'm Products. Sure. Mark Data. Yeah. I, I knew I knew Curtis would know. And uh, and oh yeah, can you, it's hard to see, but it even says complete Coco System fifty dollars here on the on the label there. And uh, and have you got a power LED in place of the Ram badge too? Uh, no, just an empty hole. Oh okay. Uh, and then it, it does have 64K because I ran the 64K RAM test, a.k.a. Sailor Man. Sailor Although Man. I had to run the French version. The English version doesn't work for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, and then it, it was also it was also modified for composite video. So where the, uh, so where the reset button should be is, um, I believe that's the uh, audio. Uh, and then the, uh, the video RCA is right, uh, right above the uh, mm -hmm. RF modulator. So it's it's been and it's been well used because you can see there is there is virtually no uh, no silver paint left uh, below yep. uh, below the keyboard there. So, well left. Yeah, well 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 used and uh, got a heck of a deal on it. It, it works. I just uh, I don't. It just I just it was sitting in the closet. I had to pull it out, but I, I don't use it that much. Cool. Cool. Any other? anybody else on the panel have a Coco One kicking around? Brian's I, got I have, one. Yeah, I got one here. Uh, I have a couple of the of the three thousand ones. Uh, this is the this is the oldest one I have. It's similar to Ron's. Not as not quite as pretty, but it has a few scuff marks. But it's still original. Uh, never been uh, it's never been opened. And this one is uh, still four K. And uh, on the badge there, and uh, it's warranty sticker. So I don't know what kind of board this one has in it. But uh, let's see. Oop, there uh, we what's go. What's the serial number? <laughs> We've got three, thirty-four thousand something. Yeah, thirty-four thousand nine forty-two. Nine forty-two. Right. So it's still in the original box. I have a, I have another three thousand one that's been upgraded to sixteen, and I have one also that's uh, upgraded to um, uh, the sixty-four K. But uh, this is the, this is the oldest one that I have, or the one that has not been. It's been untouched, but it, it has a few little, uh, few little scuffs here and there and stuff like that. But overall, it's in really good shape. It's relatively clean. Works great. Awesome. What's that one behind you? 
this uh, the one behind me here? Yeah. Uh, that one there is a. Uh, ooh, hold on here. I'll tell you. It's a little bit newer model. That one is a. Uh, that one I think also is a three thousand one. That one's that one definitely no. That's not a three thousand one. That one there is a. Uh, I think it's a, a three thousand two. Model twenty six three thousand two. It, it doesn't so. have all the black around the surround, right? Um, you're talking about right here. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. This one's still it's still black right here. Yeah, but it's not. It doesn't have the extended black. Oh yes, yeah, correct. You're right. Yes, it, it's silver right there. Yes, I understand. Yep. Right. So. Yeah, and that's one that was kind of a white plastic underneath. If you wore the paint off too, if I remember correctly, didn't they switch the um, plastic later? Yeah, I'm not sure. I let's see here. Um. No, this is still black. Still black on okay. that one. I know some of the yeah. very light ones had a white instead of black plastic base. Yeah, and that one there, I have a, a Coco VGA installed in that one as well. Yeah, that's actually one of the nice things about the Coco One. I mean, a 40-year-old computer, and yet, aside from the standard RAM upgrades, you can upgrade from color basic to extended basic and stuff, that we actually have newer upgrades that actually add functionality to it. Like Coco VGA gives you VGA output, mm -hmm. 64 by 32 text, extended palettes, extended graphics modes. Like, it's still a hacker's machine even today. Cool. <laughs> I was kind of curious uh, if anybody knows um, earlier uh, Jason had held up a multi-pack did the multi-pack come out with the Coco originally or did that come no, out? No, it was a couple years later. later. A couple years later. A couple okay. years later. And I guess while we're all pulling out Coco ones, I have this one. Okay. And this is actually kind of old. Can't read it from here. What is it? Fifteen thousand. Yeah. Oh. Fifty-six hundred. That is. Uh, thirteen six twenty-four. Okay. Happy. Ah, so, it actually has a lowercase kit in it, and I can't get it to work, but I hope have high hopes. Now, is that Dennis Bathory Kits' lowercase kit? Um, geez, I don't know. <laughs> it's 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 a it's it looks like someone made it in their bedroom. So, we'll have to figure it out. But uh, yeah, this has been sitting in my box of stuff to do. It's been opened three or four times already. And um, what board is that one? Do you know? Geez, I don't remember. I'm. I've been digging through the attic looking for various things that I put up thirty years ago, and I sort of vaguely remember all this stuff. <laughs> but it's taking me time to uh, figure out where I am and why. Do you so, have the, <laughs> Do you have the single the um, silver multi pack also? Unfortunately, no. I have the old white one, but I don't have the silver one. Okay. I think somebody else was holding up a Coco One too in the background there. Um, who is that? Uh, I got some. Go ahead, Mark. So I've got a couple of them here. Yeah, you're back in frame. So this so one is another uh, Mark Data Products keyboard, by the looks of it. Uh, it's definitely aftermarket. Um, this is a D board, serial number thirteen o forty nine. So beat you, Patrick. Yep, <laughs> must be in that range though. <laughs> then I've got a uh, uh, F board that uh, missing a keyboard. So I don't know what happened to the keyboard, but it's missing. But uh, um, I recently uh, otherwise restored it, put a composite mod in it. The other one's got a composite mod in it, too, now. Rick, they're you have both. your hand held up. you have something else to add? Or? They're both 64. Oh, no, I forgot to click my... Uh, I did my bit. bit. Oh, okay. The, this interface is really wonky here. I'm not used to having that. So, 
I had to do a reinstall and all of a sudden I have all these new features. It's great. I have a question for people here that had a Coco One growing up type thing. How many of you have still have your original Coco One you first got? I don't in my case because during a move it got tossed around in the uh, moving van and actually the circuit board cracked. So I had to write off my original Coco One. I've since got another F board since then. So my original E D board's gone. But how many of you actually still have a functioning original Coco you had from the early eighties when you were growing up? I have my the original, original. My original yeah. was a Coco Two, but yeah, it's still yeah. still got it. It's original. I still have my. I still have the original Coco Two we had growing up. Uh, in pr a process of upgrading it and had to fix it. Still have the box. Found it in my parents' garage, but uh, that's where my Coco VGA will live. I have my Coco Two and my DMP One Hundred Five. Can't get ribbons though. <laughs> I have my. Ron, you got yours. You said? I got. A, I have my multi-pack. Well, my machine was silver, and it had a um, Mark Data keyboard, just like the one I have now, uh, which is in my observatory thing. But um, I painted mine white because when the white ones come out, I love the way it looks. So I painted my multi-pack and my uh, computer white. And then um, at one time or another, I got a couple of. Um, model threes you know so i took the um old one uh, the white one that i painted that white and i took the guts out and and um i tried to i put it in a model a model four enclosure so um and that got lost somehow i don't i think it got what happened was it was in the garage when it flooded and it got ruined but anyways I have a picture of it when I took it out of the case and put it in the... So I had a Model uh, 1 Coco in a Model 4 data enclosure, you know, with a black and white TV in it and stuff. That was like a, a weird repack, because everybody usually repacks to a Coco 3, but not me, naturally. <laughs> but it was, you know, the old days, so... You know, when... Uh, for some reason, <clears throat> probably just like everybody, um, as you grow and go to the next computer, you look at the old one sitting there and think, oh, you know, it's it's old, you know, you don't have much thought about it, so it sets. And then it seems like it comes around again to where everybody starts, you know, well, hey, look, at, I still have mine. It's still here. And you go back and start playing with it again and, and then uh, start looking for all your software. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I think people do that with video game consoles, too. People mm -hmm. put the old Atari 2600, etc. I wanted to cover some of the uh, people in chat, too, mentioning some of their original Cocos here, too. So Al Hubbard men mentioned he had several of the old gray Coco ones, including a TDP, or plus a TDP 100. Manny says, my original is in storage, get around 82 or 83, I think. Been threatening to pull all my Coco stuff out of storage. Uh, Dave and Sharon Veery, I got my Coco one this year. It's stock, except it has a melty keyboard. And he started with a 16K Coco 2 in the 80s and ran out of RAM writing a program that first week. I did that with my 4K first week, too. Well, obviously, that was a lot easier for me. Um, Nimble says, my first was a 16K Extend Basic Coco 2 back in the 80s. Um, Nick Morota mentioned that he, uh, how did you word it, stupidly threw it out or something out your original Coco 2 <laughs> That's right. Like an idiot. <laughs> King of the idiots. That's right. Uh, Canadian Retro Things, he said he started with a 16K Extended Basic Coco 2 in the 80s. Um, Robert Murphy, my original Coco 1 and Coco 2's got trashed to moves as well. Yeah, that was heartbreaking in my case because I moved to an apartment 
and uh, I pulled the cocoa one off, and I could already see the case was cracked because it had fallen off something on inside the moving van. When I opened it up, I mean, the circuit board was kind of like this. It was, it was gone. Uh, Frodo and Ella. Um, Dave and Sharon V. I had the same issue with the first computer, but that was a Timex Sinclair 1000. Uh, Fedora said my Cocoa One was my very first computer, and I'm 100% certain I still have it. I just can't seem to find it anymore. Mm-hmm. You sure Ed Snyder doesn't have it? For, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just saying. Um, Robert Murphy says my dad got me a C64 as a replacement because C64 was what he liked. <laughs> Uh, Canadian Retro Things also mentions my Cocoa 2 got left in the AV room of my high school was using it for doing subtitles and credits on videos for the AV club that's kind of cool I actually know some video distribution places here used to do their little pre-roll credits on video cassettes when they were dubbing stuff they put a, used a Cocoa to display the titles and stuff too so seems to be fairly common anyway I think that catches up most of the chat as far as that uh, for people yeah. with the original Coca ones, so it sounds like a lot of you actually still have your original ones, though, which is kind of, which is cool. I wish I, I wish I still had mine. I wish I did still function though, because I, I I'm not a collector for the sake of collecting, but the nostalgia of having my original one would have been nice. But if it's not working, it's 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 I'm not collecting, so it it doesn't serve any purpose for me. What about uh, Nick Morentes? Do you, you still have your? Uh, do you have a Coca one, or you have your TRS eighty uh, model one before that? Uh my first Coco was a white, large case Coco 2. Uh, and I still do have that, yes. Um, I have since collected the original grey, of course. But I pretty well switched over to the Coco 3 in 86 and uh, haven't looked back. Well, except for a couple of games lately. Well, yeah. I <laughs> Let's sort I've of. Doing a bit. Yeah, yeah. So, like when they, when they introduced the, the Coco in the US. Was it how long after, or was it before it became like in Australia and so like that? Was it all about the same time, or was it a year or years later? Or I think it was, yeah, I'm not sure exactly, but it, it, I think they were fairly close together. Yeah, it might have been a couple of months difference, maybe, but uh, yeah, we, we, we did get it about the same time. I know we did in Canada, we got it within a month from the states, so go ahead. Yeah, it was announced in uh, yesterday, July 31st, and then. If I remember correctly, it, from reading Tendy's Little Wonder, um, it came into stores in like I thought it was September or October or something like that. Yeah, it wasn't too long after. Like a lot of the machines that came out that were announced back at that time frame. I mean, the Big Twenty is a famous one. Um, I think one of the Ataris too. They came out like half a year to a year after the announcement date. But Tandy was usually pretty good. When they announced a machine, it was usually ready within a couple months. Mm-hmm. Software is a different story. They had a few of those that are quite late or never and, showed up at all. But and hardware. Because yeah. in the early years, there was all that time where people like, does Radio Shack and Tandy actually care about the computer? Because they're not, you know, where's the disk drive? Where's this? Where's that? Yeah. Any others on the panel that have any uh, original Cocoa Ones or sto- stories from the Cocoa One days they want to share? You guys were talking about serial numbers and everything. This is uh, th- this is one here that I have. This is a 26-3003 as far as the... Uh, model type goes it's a 64k one and as far as serial numbers go this is serial number 689 oh i just needed a zero in the middle there it would have been perfect yeah um, <laughs> i know i know if you this read is the lowest, um this is the lowest um, serial number i have but uh if you read uh, i think boise's book i think it talks about the serial numbers resetting a couple of times i don't remember if it was 
Tandy's Little Wonder or Boise's book, but one one of them, they definitely do talk about that. You know, with the serial numbers resetting at unknown times, it's it's hard to really tell the exact number. Yeah, because I have one that's uh, 16. Uh, right. All zeros and one six. And it, but it's a uh, color computer. It's uh, French. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know my original Coco one, my D board, the one that cracked, I don't remember the exact serial number, but it was in the 1500 range like 1547 or something like that. But I don't know, like like you're mentioning, you know, did they restart the numbers in Canada? I did find one thing, and this is, uh, we'll mention them briefly in the news later on too, but the, the new Coco crew, they interviewed the person that used to run Computer Plus. And uh, he mentioned that, uh, you know, they, they sold, they bought from Tandy and then resold, you know, cheaper and threw in extra things too. But they mentioned that at the one uh, Rainbow Fest, and this is getting into the Coco 3's anniversary, the first Rainbow Fest after the Coco 3 was announced, and they had more... Coco 3s in stock than the local Tandy people did. So the Radio Shack booth sold out first. And then they had a, between two and 300 Coco 3s that they brought to the show and they sold all of those out by Saturday. So anybody who wanted to buy Coco 3 on Sunday was screwed. There was none left to get anywhere. So it, it was definitely a hot seller too. And I think the Coco 1 at some of the earlier Coco Fest also sold very, very well. I mean, that does happen at shows. They, they can only bring so much, uh, so much equipment with them. Yeah, I, I guess the thing is because Radio Shacks were so scattered all over the place, like there was local Radio Shack stores in that area too, but just because the show happened to be there, everybody in the immediate vicinity sold out. Um, and well, yeah. if you went somewhere else in the States, you probably could have picked one up, you know, just walking into a, a Radio Shack store. I, I, think, I think the way that Radio Shack set up that the, the stores were like regionalized and all that stuff, I think it would have been very difficult to place an order to say, hey, you know, I want you know, a couple hundred more of these. I don't think, th- I don't think that was possible in their architecture. So, well, like the, the guy saying, at computer plus, I guess he was an official franchisee. Like he had the franchisee license so he could order whatever he wanted to. And he ordered as many as he could for the show to take it down. Yeah. So he, he said they loaded up a 24 foot truck and sold it out in two days. But Radio shock would like send, Oh, we're going to send, you know, 50 to each, to each of our 3000 stores or whatever. Yeah. Anyone else have any Coco 1 memories? Or Coco 3? It's it's the 34th birthday of the Coco 3, too. So I I know that's uh, Nick's favorite Coco well, by far. Mine you, as well. I'm well, glad you mentioned my, that, Curtis. Um, hold that thought, Nick. I believe we have a, a video for that. Computer. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't Someone's have sound here, but I'm assuming that went on the stream yeah. of sound. Uh, it did. So yeah. it was was July '86 the 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 date that the Coco Three was released in the US. It was announced. announced. I, I'm not sure if it actually got released for a few weeks afterwards, but uh. all right, because I actually bought mine here in Australia in September of '86. So 
was it? I would assume it would have been close to that time in the U.S. as well. Yeah, I think I got mine in the very first week of October, and it was the first one in Saskatoon out of all, all right. five or six Radio Shack stores. Well, actually, I got the second one because the managers took one first, but... Yeah, well, there wasn't too big a delay then between announcing and uh, having it available in the stores. Yeah, Tandy was good for that, actually. I mean, they didn't usually pre-announce stuff and then you'll wait six months. Now, they had a few things like Thor and a few other things that yeah had problems. But on general, they my, were pretty good at it. My, yeah, my first... Sorry. I was going to say, the other side of that is I had bought a Cocoa 2 not a year before the Cocoa 3 came out. So <laughs> that was... My, my, my first computer was the TRS-80 Model 1, which I bought in 1980. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I should have just waited and got a color computer. I would have been right at the start of the color computer world. But I had a Model 1, and I was programming that until about 1984. So I, I, I missed out on a lot of the Coco world uh, because I was playing with uh, yesterday's uh, TRS-80. <laughs> Nothing's changed. <laughs> one thing is uh if you had your coco 3 and uh you're playing with stuff uh, at least with discs anyway because we didn't have an sdc back then and uh, i would find there was a couple things that the coco didn't use and it seemed like i always had uh coco 2 set up um just in case and so I'd go back to the two to play games and stuff that I couldn't play in the three, maybe because of the video mode or something. But um, the, the other thing is, every, every once in a while, I'd think as the years went by, um, gosh, the two and the one are the same. So I could run the one. So for kicks, I would throw the one in there and, and bring it up and, and play with that for a while. So, but the thing is, um, it, it tends to take space. <laughs> And if you have a, a one, two, or three setup, you have to have a lot of space. It just, there's no way around that. Especially in the old days, you had a big, big fat TV sitting on something. You had to have a riser of some kind. That's another thing that people either made or they would throw. Um, like uh, for a while, I used to use a uh, Tandy 1000 to set a monitor on. Your 502 is the monitor stand. <laughs> you turn it sideways and it's all good. <laughs> I, I one one thing that really sticks out for me of the Coco Three because I was very heavily involved with the Coco Two on BBSing. I'd been running or Coco One and Two, I should say, but I was running my BBS and had been for several years. And by late '85, there was quite a few rumors. There had been earlier rumors in '83, '84 about a new computer that was the deluxe that never got released, and then it got canceled. But there was some rumors swimming around, especially on CompuServe, which I was on at the time. And uh, the Coco 3 anticipation on CompuServe was, was palpable. I mean, there was all the big people were talking about it, the Dale Puckett's and the Lonnie Falks and stuff were talking about it. A lot of the just regular users were talking about it. A lot of rumors coming out, you know, in the three to four months before the official announcement in July. Most of it was pretty bang on, too. Like, they're predicting the screen resolutions and the number of colors and the you know, amount of RAM. The fact there's MMU in it and, and double speed and stuff like that. So they must have had some inside information getting leaked out from Tandy at the time. And then when the actual release happened, I mean, they everybody copied the actual press release from Tandy and uploaded his text files and took pictures and threw them up on there even before the Rainbow came out. And Rainbow actually held off publishing their September 86 Rainbow for about two weeks, almost right to the last minute to get it out on time to make sure they had pictures from the event and, and, and you know, quickly interviews with Mark Siegel and everybody else. 
So I, I do remember the anticipation of the Coco 3 coming out and you know what was all coming with it and new software. And at that time, you know, they announced kind of that OS 9 Level 2 was coming out, but I didn't really know too much about it. I played with Level 1, wasn't that impressed. And, uh, but it, it was a very exciting time. Like on CompuServe, just everybody was, that's all everybody was talking about for the next month or two. And then people started getting them in their hands at, you know, late September, early October. So all of us jealous people that were watching other people, oh, look, I did this graphic and here's, here's a little program I wrote that, you know, there's 640 res graphics and stuff like that. And we're sitting here in our Coco 2s or Coco 1s waiting for ours to show up. So it was a lot of fun. Great. And, and Richard Lorbieski just joined the panel. Hey, Richard. Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah, hey, Richard. Talk, talk to us about your two seaboards. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, that was one of the reasons. I, I was trying to find pictures of them, and I can't locate them, but... One of them I got from a user here. I don't want to mention his name because um, he, he, he kind of got bummed out when he found out it was a revision seat. <laughs> but I did promise him if I ever sell it or get rid of it or die or whatever, he gets it back. So uh, the other one I got from eBay, uh, the guy got it from a scrap sale in Dallas. And this guy lives in Galveston, Texas. And he was going to scrap the board. He was actually going to tear it for, uh, get the, extract the gold out of it. But he said, well, I th I'm going to go ahead and try to put it on eBay first. And I saw it, and it had a it was serial number 80. And I, 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 I actually drove all the way to Galveston, which is about 250 miles away from me, to pick it up because I did not want it shipped. And uh, it, it, it has a power. It has a – there's some problems with it. I haven't fixed it yet, but uh, – it, it has a lot of um, beta. Uh, it, the, the cable cord uh, for the keyboard is, is different than your traditional Coco keyboard. Uh, and there's just stuff in there that I've never seen on a Color Computer 1. It's a 4K model? or it, Yeah, it's a 4K model. Do you remember uh, the num number? Is this 3001? Or? Yeah, it's a 3001. Yeah. Uh, both, both of these are 3001s that I have. Yeah. And one of the, the the one the other one I have is a 16K and it works well. It needs the 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 RF modulator needs to be replaced because it's messed up. But uh, the other one, uh, like I said, serial number 80. I can't recall the other uh, revision C. Now, question for you, Richard. You mentioned in the chat on on YouTube here about the way that Radio Shack did serial numbers was not exactly sequential. They would restart on new revisions, like for the product number. But they, you said they would just grab the latest, you know, the nearest label roll and just start slapping them on like they weren't. Yeah, yeah, that's that's basically what they did. I mean, well, they did it with the Model 3s. I, I had worked at Tandia's Computer Assembly in San Antonio. And um, the 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 way the serial numbers were, were done was according to the catalog number. It wasn't total units like this is the color computer line. So they would keep rolling out the, you know, the same sequential serial number. And the other thing is they had multiple lines going. They didn't have just a single line where they would slap the label on sequentially. They were just like like you were mentioning, they just took a label roll and they would slap whatever was available. They didn't they didn't really keep track of that, you know, as far as serial numbers. Yeah, the re the reason I asked is that like you have serial number eighty and it's a seaboard. So yes. one would presume that the earliest serial numbers would have been seaboards, but I've actually seen the, the serial number one. And it's a D board. That's the one that Lee Veal has. Right. Uh, it's possible that uh, what what could have happened 
was that some of the, the boards, uh, uh, they got recalled and they took all the C boards out and put D boards in there um, is, is what could have happened. The other thing is if it was in repair at one time, uh, that C board could have been replaced. Yeah, and as I was mentioned earlier, that if you wanted to get a 64-32K upgrade, a lot of the time that they just, if you had a D or older board, they just swapped it out rather than doing all the soldering and require. Yeah, the, the, yeah, it, it. right. Anytime I got a D board, I just kind of like, ugh, and, and if, if the shop happened to have an E or an F board, I would definitely just swap it out to make it easier. Great. Well, Ben Drake's just joined us in the uh, chat. I was just about to ask him how old the dragon is, do, but I can ask the panel. What's the birthday uh, for the dragon? When when did that come out? No, oh, I don't even know it off the top of my head. Well, it depends on which dragon we're talking about. Yeah, well, yeah. Dragon thirty two obviously would be the first one, but uh, well, then there's the Tano dragon, and then the, the dragon sixty four. Because I mean, it was Tano was here in the United States. Didn't it come out of sixteen K first, or? Mm-hmm. Not, not even 4K. Nope. No. No, I think it came out, what, 81 or 82, the first Dragon 32? And then the Tano and the 64 was an 82 or 83, I think. Yeah, I think Ben's Dragon 32, 82. Ben saying 82. Um, so, happy birthday, 38th birthday to the Dragon. I would say I never learned about the Dragon until uh, almost 1990. In my case, I learned it from it from Color Computer News because they actually made it the cover shot on one of their last issues when they announced that the dragon was coming out. So that was where I, I first heard of it. So I watched a documentary on a dragon a few months ago, and it seemed to me that they said that they purposely built in upgrades to differentiate it from the Coco so that Tandy would not be uh, as upset about about it or something like that. Like that that's the reason they had, um, they had different ports in that, right, that the Coco didn't have. Or something. Yeah, it had like it had an upgraded keyboard. It started at 32K. I think it even started extended basic. I don't think they even offered a color basic option. And then it had a serial port. Yeah, yeah that's the, it. 64, the 64 added the parallel port and the serial port. That's yeah. why they added. Yeah, those are the ports they added to differentiate it from the Coco. It was a nice machine. It was too bad the Tano one didn't take off in North America, but uh, it didn't last too long there, except for the stock that who was it California Digital was selling for years and years afterwards. Yep. Oh, finally, what I know. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 got I, got, I got one. One point, California Digital said, oh, we're going to have a price increase. I'm like, buy now. <laughs> yeah, I bought mine for 50 bucks. I think mine was about the same. Rob, you didn't tell me. What? Ron, I mean, you didn't tell me, man. <laughs> I didn't know you back then. No. Uh, no, as far as the announcing date of the original Dragon 32, which would have been the first model, I don't know if that was in the summertime like Tandy did theirs or if they picked a different time of the year. I'm not sure when, that, when it was officially announced. And what, what is the, re- the um, explanation of the word um, Motorola reference? You know how... Um, the reference design? Yeah, being that uh, most of the chips in the Coco 1 are Motorola's and... The same as could be said for the dragon or yeah if you yep, look at yep. the if you look at the schematic in motorola's data sheet the coco ain't far off of that yeah, so just adding a couple of serial ports and stuff made the dragon much different because 
the Coco wasn't really much different than than basically Motorola's reference. As I understand it. Yep, that's what I've heard too. Well, the reason why they used Motorola quite a bit was this the Coco was originally a Videotex terminal and it was pro- it was uh, uh, named Project Green Thumb, I believe. Yeah. And and what they did is Motorola came up with all the chips and Tandy just, "Hey, this looks cool and the cost is minimal." So they, you know, they used all those chips. And so when the, you know, they <clears throat> They said, hey, you know what? Instead of having this built-in modem and all that, you know, we could turn this into a, a color computer, you know, a, a, you know, a, a low-end computer uh, for the kids, or you want to call it a gaming machine. And that's basically how the color computer came about. You know, what's interesting is the case had those cutouts for the, my, you know, the mouse ports and stuff. It makes you wonder if they didn't, when they made the case for that, that they didn't already know that they were going to do a computer, you know, just a straight computer. Oh, you're talking like the video text terminal? Case? Yeah. They must have yeah. made that decision early. Well, yeah, because it's not like you could 3D print a case. So if we're going to make a case <laughs> yeah. mold, we're going to make this case mold fit everything we can possibly think about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, case molds back then, uh, well, even now, are extremely expensive and uh, they cost a lot of money to to build especially if you do a mass production like you know the color computer or any other computer lines a typical case uh, mold uh, from what I was told at Radio Shack ran about anywhere from a hundred to three hundred thousand dollars back then hmm. yeah that makes sense because if they they were planning even if they did the video text terminal first and they were starting to get into manufacturing of the actual you know beyond the prototype stage and they were planning to come out the color computer at that time they probably would have designed the case knowing they were adding joysticks and um, you know other things to it serial cords etc so they would have made the one case design i mean even that one scart coco we saw uh, pictures of before i think last week on the news it was basically the same case as a coco except it had a little block of plastic where the channel selector switch was because of course scart doesn't need that so it was still basically the same case. They just you know, left part of the mold and didn't punch it out type thing. Right. It's cool that they painted it. So all of these Model 1s aren't yellow. <laughs> Keyboards might be, but <laughs> yeah, their cases are in nice shape. And they look good. And I believe uh, quite, the rain... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I believe the Rainbow once said that silver was the contemporary Mercedes silver generic car paint. So you could actually repaint your case and it would still match your multi-pack and so forth. Mm-hmm. No, this is 35 years. And it's, the, it's so. the same as your Model 1 back there, isn't it? Same color? It's the exactly. same color. Yeah. Yeah, they, did, they didn't differentiate because uh, they, they actually had a touch-up paint shop uh, that fixed blemishes. I know a lot of people in the back in the day referred to it as Radio Shack Gray because that was kind of part of their branding was that silver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their, Battleship you know. Gray. And that included printers. Which I always wondered because the Model 1 used an RCA TV and RCA used that sort of silver. Did they actually paint their computers to match the RCA TV that they used for the monitor back there? <laughs> they could be. One, I don't know. 
Yeah, one wonders. <laughs> one wonders who was first. Or was it joint, well, joint decision? RCA was first. <laughs> yeah, they, they relied heavily on RCA. The Model 3s had uh, RCA uh, uh, videos in there. And, uh, the you mean color, tubes? Yeah, the, well, the tubes, and, and they also had a little video controller, um, a miniature one. Uh, that was RCA. They used RCA, and they also used a Motorola one in the Model 2s. And then on the color computer, that color track, the, the, the monitor that they recommended, that was a RCA XL100, I believe. Hmm. And in fact, my uh, I had an RCA XL100 color television that was exactly the same color as this Model 1. And that's what made me believe that this might all be true. <laughs> um, if, the, if you like, if you like, I have a little extra show and tell that kind of goes along with the discussion that we're talking about right now with the uh, um, with the Coco 1 and its predecessor. I guess you want to say predecessor, the, the video text. I have a little show and tell I could share with you. Share with you sure. guys right now. Go for yeah, it. Let me uh, stop sharing here. System sound and uh, go. Go ahead, Brian. Okay. Um, so I got this guy here. Inbox. Whoop, is it coming through here? There we go. It's uh this thing here. It, it's uh I don't think it's ever been used. It has uh, the manuals still still taped. And all of its uh, internal hardware, the video cord still has the rubber band around it. <laughs> Even has a nice, nice, pretty shiny. <laughs> the uh, the switcher still has the uh, the tape on the back, so you can peel it off and stick it on your TV if you wanted to. <laughs> and the one thing that doesn't seem to come up with the video text machines all the time is the cord that you could actually attach to it. I'm not sure if that's coming through or not, but it, it, it's the it's a cord that has a DIN plug on it. If it comes through there, it's basically like, it's yeah. the one just like the cassette, and then it has the phone cord on the end of it. Um, I have another video text machine that is, uh, it has the serial, or it has the, it's that model, it's the 26500. Um, this one here is actually a, a very similar model. The only thing, this one here is like brand new, it's completely pristine, but I was kind of disappointed. I didn't notice it when I was uh, looking at it, though. It's missing the, uh, the label. It must have came off at some point in time and it's lost. No. Mm. But um, I've reached out to Carlos, and he's going to be ordering some badges, and he's going to try to make me a video text badge that I can stick on there. Great. But here's what you, here's what you guys were talking about, though. You can see those right. cutouts there like it was... Uh, this case was, uh, they already had like the foresight that they were going to make this into a Coco One. Right. Awesome. Yeah, that so, pretty well uh, proves it, right? That they at least had the plans in place. Let's see the sticker like, on the bottom. Where, where do you live, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it Let's has see. a service uh, button, too. 1177. Yep. And it says video terminal. Everything else yep. is the same. Yeah. Oops. There we go. There's a better, better shot. 1177, yeah. So, but I mean, the, the cord, it even had kind of a little bit of a new computer smell to it when I opened it up, too. So it was... Uh, so it has a light where the 4K would be? Correct. Yep. That was your data light. So when you first turn it on, the light comes on and goes out. 
What does it say? Data? Yeah, it says data on it. And um, the way that it would work is once you dialed up and connected to a particular service, whatever that may be, um, when or while it's receiving data, this light is on, indicating that data is being received. Did you look in the box to see if the label maybe fell off and was in the corner? Oh, yeah. I, I turned <laughs> it inside out. I was really open. <laughs> and I don't know if That's maybe... What I, I would have done. Yeah, I just don't know if the person that was uh, that had it before, you know, maybe they it, was, it had fallen off and they just... Uh, I don't know what happened to it. But uh, oh, maybe, there's, was, maybe there's a story where um, they were shipped without them in the very beginning. Well, I don't know. It has a little bit of that... Uh, Glue? That, that label residue right there, yes. Right oh, okay. There, so, yeah. So, what year did the uh, video ticks come out? It came out it a few months before the Coco One, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Yep. 1980, but, a, but earlier 1980. Oh, early 80. Right. Also, just an update on the Dragon 32. Frodo NL um, says that Dragon 32 release in Europe was August of 82. Great. So, yeah, I just thought I was, I was going to save it till later, but uh, we were kind of talking about the ports and everything, and I thought that might be timely show, show and tell. So the first um, Black Beauties we had for the Coco One came out pretty much at the same time, or what? Because we didn't have the big white ones, right? The craft ones? Oh, we're talking right. about joysticks? Yeah. When the, They're Black Beauties the first. When the one came yeah, out. Black Beauties were released with the Coco One because you, you needed right. it to play the game cards, so... With right, the metal though. shafts, right? So, yes. so when when did the fatter ones, the white ones, come out? Probably around the Coco 2 era, I think. Yeah, so like 83, 84. Yeah. I have to do some uh, catalog digging for that one. And those would have been the single button versions at that point, not the double buttons. Yeah. I wonder when the Black Beauty switched from the metal to the plastic. Uh, that was around those. the F-board era, from what I remember, because a couple of my friends uh, who got F-board Cocos in 82, 83 got the plastic ones and the metal ones I remember being sold in 8081 maybe yeah, early metal 18. I don't see I don't want to see metal ones out in the wild at all just the plastic ones so did the black beauty exist anywhere else because you know the deluxe was just a craft was the black beauty anything or was that Tandy just made a joystick I think Tandy just made a joystick I've never tandy, seen anything yeah. like that anywhere else I mean Dragon had kind of a clone but it had the long handle part to hold on to there's been some variations. I know um, there's a TDP 100 version, a Tandy version, a version without Tandy on it, a version with Radio Shack on it. Yeah, and then also the, the metal and plastic. Uh, the metal ones screwed on. Yeah. And the plastic ones were kind of like solidified on type thing. Yeah, I have, I'm a, assuming I have a. What? Uh, yeah, I said, uh, yeah, I have a white Radio Shack uh, 64K Cocoa 1. Yeah, that was in 83. That was the same time OS9 Level 1 was released and the Coco 2 is pre-announced. And I think if I remember correctly, the 64K Coco 1, the white case one, was out about a month or two months before the Coco 2s actually came out in the stores. Now, uh, what about uh, Nick Morentes? He he says that uh, he got his Coco 2, uh, was it before the 2s came out? And it looks like a 1? Explain. Yeah, yeah. It was the, the large white case... Um Coco 2. It yeah, came no, out as it, a 2. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it yeah, was a I, 1. Actually, that was released as a Coco 1. I had one of those, too. Yeah. In North America, it was released as a Coco. Yeah, it was called yeah, the 64K right. color computer is what it was yeah, called. Yeah, that, that's what it is. 
But in, in Australia, you guys actually called it the Coco 2 right off the bat. Yeah. It was beautiful. How long was that on the market before the Coco 2 came out? Uh, it not two long. months. So it was just yeah. a stopgap product? Kind of. I mean, I th- I, they did sell it into early 83, or sorry, early 84 from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Basically, I think they're just trying to use up the old you know, motherboards Curtis. and stuff. Curtis, don't you think um, you said that they shifted to white plastic and they just stopped painting them for the... Wouldn't that be what they did? Because they started with black plastic, then they went yeah. to white plastic, and then they just stopped painting them. Well, I think they still paint. Do you remember, Chet? I can't remember. I remember they're it had not, a melted keyboard, but... Uh, they're not yeah, painted no, white. Actually, actually, that one wasn't painted. In fact, yeah, I remember that... I remember when the uh, yeah after a couple of years, you know, where uh, on the gray ones where you usually see the the paint rubbed off, it was really smooth there, you know, from from the rubbing on it, but it was still very very white. I mean that, that it was solid white all the way through. Yeah, right. Okay. Hmm. So that's what they did. They used white pigment. That was the, the, what they did. Is they started switching from the battleship gray, and they they started making everything white. And they still use the same molding on the like the Coco One. They just used uh, white pigment instead of the black. Yeah, and I think the late silver ones were painted with the white plastic underneath. Because I remember a friend of mine had it where it rubbed off, and it was the white plastic underneath. And the, the Coco, the sixty-four K color computer, was the one that actually just you knew as, as Chet and, and Nick mentioned any- was just pure white plastic. Because there's no paint really. That would be neat to see if any of you guys have a, a silver Coco One with white showing through. That'd be cool to look at. I've never seen one. I have one sitting right here, actually. But really? It's not rubbed off enough to really see it that well. Yeah. Try. <laughs> that was also when they converted from the the battleship gray and the white case. They also the tubes started. Uh, they shipped them out with the green instead of the white. Let's see. I can't see. Oh, it's a gray, yeah. Yeah, kind of a... Hold on. Yeah, I do remember that. Who's holding up something? Oh, here we go. Ah, Curtis. There we go. Can't hear you, Curtis. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mute it when I was picking it up. Just trying to get a good angle here to... Yeah, you can see it there. Yeah, you can see the gray underneath there. Or the light gray. Yeah. So it's a silver F board. And of course, I've upgraded the keyboard to a Coco 3 keyboard in this case. What's but, the switch? Uh, that's part of some hardware upgrades that I was doing some uh, help designing drivers for. I haven't got back to yet. Billy <laughs> Bertie's here. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that, that was a white plastic one. I knew quite a few people with F boards had the white plastic what's, one. What's the, the serial on that? Uh, 1384. And that well, that kind of proves that the F board, you know, when they switched that, they probably did restart the serial numbers again, as Richard has mentioned. Because that's actually a lower serial number than my original D board was, and this one's like several years younger, so they so restarted. Here's another thing too, though. Um, when they did the, um, when they got rid of the black surround, and they made it just uh, plain color, there's no matte on it, so it's like a different casting. Yes, it's just like a plain flat plastic, mm-hmm. not the grooved etched one or whatever you want to call it. Hmm. Who likes the original all black 
keyboard area. You know how the, the Coco One had the black area even on the case around yep. the keyboard? Yeah. That's but, what we were just talking about, actually, because that had that, that surface texture to it, too. It wasn't yeah, flat. yeah. Yep. It, it looked better, I thought. Yeah, I agree. Actually, if you notice how the, the Tirosides, I mean, a lot of people were mocking it because it had that grey, it was so old looking, and the chiclet keyboard, you know, it's not a real keyboard. Look at laptops nowadays. <laughs> Silver and chiclet keyboards. <laughs> the Coco's not only 30, 30 you know, four to 40 years old, it's also 30 to 40 years ahead of its time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we could look at started with gray and then then brown beige white back to you know back to silver right of course you could look at the 994a which was stainless steel absolutely beautiful but an absolutely crap computer that needed a ten thousand dollar development system to write a basic program in i mean it was yeah so i'll take the cocoa with its various coatings and plastics and so was the TI and the Coco the only silver computers ever that came out back then? Well, silver was hot at one point. Oh, apart from the models, yeah. Tandy, well, Tandy their whole line right. was silver yeah. for a few yeah. years there. So and yeah. there were MSX computers that were silver. I remember. Oh, okay. Um, Timex Sinclair wasn't one of those silver. Oh, Timex yeah, used yeah. silver. Yeah, yeah fifteen. Uh, 15, the slightly later ones, 1500, 20, 2068, yep. The not-quite Spectrum and the... Yeah. Right. Yeah, because the original ZX-80 was kind of a whitish thing, and the ZX-81 was black, wasn't it? The original? Right. Yeah. yeah. There was a clone that was gray for a model, you know, the first Coco. I think... Um, was Diego has one? Not sure, but... It's you know like what I mean? The CP four hundred. Yeah, Brazil, that's right. right. That was silver. Yeah. Oh right, yeah. I forgot about that one. Yeah, one of the Brazilian clones. Uh, because they, the company that made the Timex Sinclair computers in South America actually used some of the same parts for the CP four hundred. So if I, so if if I, if you had that CP four hundred and my Timex Sinclair twenty sixty eight next to each other, they'd look pretty similar. Oh, I didn't know that. They actually shared parts then. The 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 tell the telling part is the um, the cartridge slot in the front where the door is. I could get that if you want. Do you have one of each? Yeah. I don't have a I don't have a CP four hundred, but I have a twenty sixty eight. Yeah, show us. Yeah, go ahead and grab it. Okay. <laughs> and then we'll mention the one other birthday while he's grabbing that there. I'm getting some echo back here again too. Uh, but anyway, it's also the uh, 40th anniversary of the uh, Base 9 language from uh, Microware, which was commissioned by Motorola and was actually developed before OS 9 itself was. They made this nice language, you know, structured and, you know, fast and you know, data types, complex data types, quite a good language. And then they decided, you know, we should make an operating system around this. And that's when OS 9, you know, got started. But Base 9 came out first, actually. So uh, how much time between the two? Uh, well, they ended up doing a, almost a simultaneous release. It's just when they commit, when Motorola commissioned them to make it as a show-off piece for the 6809, they, they decided internally, well, we should make an operating system to go along with it. So does that mean at one point they planned to have Basic 09 run under RS-DOS? No, it was meant to be more like Microsoft Basic, like Basically. on a ROM, where you just, here's Basic. Okay. 
Anyway, Mikey, would you want to show that off? Yeah, since you've got I have it? the, I have the, uh, huh. the Sinclair twenty sixty eight. There it is. And uh, what I was talking about was the CP four hundred has a door similar to this one on it. So this is the cartridge slot for uh, like uh, program packs going here. There's a separate there's a separate slot in the back for uh, expansion, like the if you have the printer or the or you know, later have like a micro drive or anything. That one goes in the back here. They had very, very few cartridge slots, uh, you know, program packs that go into the front here. And I think if you get the, to turn this into a spectrum, I think the ROM for that, don't remember if it plugs in here or it's actually an internal one, but CP400 is maybe not exactly the same as the this 2068, but at least it shares a lot of the design you know, design cues from it. So well, that's a Z80, though, right? The, the this one, this one is a um, how did uh, uh, Rick put it? Uh, almost uh, spectrum, but not quite. <laughs> yeah, so it's Z80. Thanks. Cool. Any other shared thoughts on either the on on Baseco Nine or on the Coco One or the Coco Three that are celebrating their birthdays? yesterday and the day before I, I've got to say I really enjoyed how, how much of a database is built into basic 09 with the data types and stuff it just I love that language I wrote so many things in basic 09 yeah I mean our, our work from 1989 through 2002 that's pretty well what we wrote everything in we did some assembly subroutines for you know speeding up printer stuff but all the core data because we wanted something that was rapid development unlike you know doing seer assembly which takes a little bit longer to develop and debug and make sure because we were a very you know time focused you had to get stuff out really quick so we, we used basic nine pretty well exclusively all the programmers on staff until we switched off onto pcs you think that would have been, would have been as beginner friendly as regular basic though i mean it was powerful but it was also it, it could be. I mean, it was meant to be somewhat backwards compatible with older basics. Like it, it did accept line numbers. I mean, it wasn't recommended. You were supposed to, you know, do things the Pascalish type of way. And if you could make the basic, uh, you could use the basic functions that your normal Microsoft basics had. There was a few syntax differences, you know, on some certain instructions. But basically, you had the full thing there. But did yeah, you, you had so much more powerful stuff like complex type declarations and yeah. system calls and stuff. So you could get complicated if you want, but it wasn't necessary for you to just write a basic program. Like you had to declare your variables, right? You had you had to type them, didn't you? I can't remember. No, yeah, um, it would default. Now some of its defaults were a little bit limited. Like strings defaulted to thirty-two characters maximum. Okay. Unless you dimmed it to something larger. But on the other hand, you could make a thirty-two k string, and it actually would work. Right. Okay. So when um, the Coco One came out and it had these uh, um, draw statements for basic, um, some of the other computers didn't really have those things, or what? Was it the extended basic that had that? Yeah. And and so you would be using that on the Coco, and you'd go to another machine, and you'd find that there wasn't any. <laughs> How did that work? It was a disappointment for me because I I, I read the Coco manuals in the store, the extended basic manuals, and I was fiddling with them. This is before I had a Coco, and I was you know there was you know, you know circle and paint and all this other fancy stuff there. And then when the school upgraded from the Pet to the Apple II, I mean, here's a color computer. Here it has color. That's what I thought. You know, I didn't know about branding. And then I'm sitting there, you know, looking through the manual, and the only you can do is you can turn a high-risk graphics mode on, you can change a color, you can draw a dot, or you can draw a line. That's it. No Gee. circle, no paint, 
no page flipping, no nothing. I was like, what? So yeah, I was a bit disappointed by that. Hmm. Um, That's cool. Yeah, I think Rick, you I remember you, using, you, go ahead. Go ahead. I remember using graphic programs to cheat. So if I was designing a game or something, I could draw a graphic screen. So I had paint line draw intersections and things. And I didn't have to do all this math myself. And I thought that was great, especially after looking at a Commodore where, you know, Jack never paid for extended basics. So everything was just pokes and crap. And wow, this is cool. And that's one of the reasons I bought a Cocoa 2 instead of something else when I did that. And along the same lines, like Robert Murphy mentions in the chat here, um, Cocoa Basic was like an early version of something like GWiz Basic, GW Basic later on the PC, and that's actually true. Even some of the syntax is the same. I mean, the resolution's obviously a little bit different and stuff, but uh, a lot of the syntax actually, like the screen command and stuff, with some extra options came across. So it was definitely based on the extended Basic that uh, Microsoft had done earlier for the Cocoa. So um, is it true that um, Mr. Microsoft wrote ours yeah 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 he wrote the base of it and he actually did a couple of custom routines for it too which uh eric Averlock mentioned in uh, nick Marenti's interview with him in the coconuts book oh so yeah i was wondering if he's ever ever mentioned it before the actual said the words color computer i think yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow the, the the rumor was for a while that the very last Coco or the very last basic that per Bill Gates personally wrote was on the Coco that was later proven to be a little bit inaccurate. The very last routine he did was for the Model 100, actually, another Tandy product. Well, sort of, but the Tandy sold product anyway. But yeah, he did do some actual tweaks to the basic in in the Coco specifically. They had a generic basic that they kind of just ported between CPUs and stuff that he helped write with Paul, but uh, he did do some tweaking on the Coco version itself. Did uh, Microsoft write the color basic? Yep. They did that. Because on the TRS-80 Model 1, where they had level 1 basic and level 2, level 1 wasn't a Microsoft basic. It was based on something else. Yeah, no, the, the Coco, all, all, the, all the ROM basics, this basic, extended yeah. basic, color basic, were all Microsoft. The Microware, of course, did the patches on the Coco 3, but it was still the basic from Microsoft underneath that had to get patched. And when you say patched... What kind of things did they have to change? Were there? Well, basically, what happened was that uh, the Tandy approached Microsoft. You know, can you do super extended basic for the Cocoa Three for all our new modes? And they kind of went no. And also, you're not allowed to change our ROMs. So it was kind of a licensing problem. So Motorola or uh, Microware to get around that had to have the stock Cocoa One and Two ROMs in the Cocoa Three, and then an extended ROM after that that manually put everything into RAM and then patched it all to properly run Cocoa Three. Basically, it was all a licensing problem really was the whole reason that happened so that's in the ROM though the, the extended on the yep. three yeah you can actually bring up the original stock Coco 3 ROMs if you kill the RAM mode off and just map the ROMs in in ROM is the Coco 1 and 2 ROMs yes. it gets copied oh, there's to Coco RAM 1 and 2 ROMs and then the patching program that's part of the it gets copied program. to RAM and it gets altered to give you all the Coco 3 functionality yep. uh, as part of the boot up process for the Coco correct and I'm just explaining it to her. Okay. So that's, that's how it works. That's what patching is. Hmm. So it runs from RAM patched. Which All ironically was actually helpful for a lot of basic programmers because, I mean, the old ROMs, I mean, you, you, if you had 64K, you could copy them into RAM and you'd patch the basic there too. But on the Cocoa 3, that came stock standard. 
And there's like pokes that Paul Thayer and others have used. You know, you've modified a couple bytes here and there in Super Extended Basic, and now you can, you know, kick in a graphics screen without automatically clearing it first. So if you wanted to preload a disk file with an image, you can do that. And there's patches for you know, like how get put buffers work, so you can kind of do sprite-like type stuff. And huh. it's actually was kind of handy. I mean, you were getting back into the Commodore world of poking everything, but it was to give you some extra functions that the Basic didn't have built in. So tell me about ADOS. When that came out, that was pretty exciting. I wasn't around at the beginning of ADOS, so I couldn't tell you too much. I know Art Flexer did it, and he, he kept upgrading it as he went. It supported bigger drives and things, but that's... But that was basically a, um, an add-on to... And they, they're using the all-RAM mode to do that, right? Basically? No, to, uh, no. no. It depended. You could, you could load it in RAM if you had 64K, but it, you, he sold it as an actual ROM. It's, it's a, this basic ROM chip with 16K on it instead of 8 with a bunch of extra functions. So those are basically patches the same as what you're explaining earlier? No, the, that's more of an extension. It replaces the disk basic ROM with a different one that has more functionality than the disk basic ROM did, but it didn't okay. patch. You the way, the way Microsoft Basic was set up was with chip. hooks. You could add in new chips and new ex- functions like that. So Color Basic worked with Extended. It had all these little RAM hooks built in saying, if we want to do a print routine, you're going to go over here in the ROM and, and do print. Well, on Color Basic, that was basically your screen, your cassette, and your printer. When you added Disk Basic, now you added in functionality through the hook to go through Disk Basic ROM first and say, well, now I can print disk files. And then I'll go back to the regular ROM so you can do your regular stuff you were normally printing. So they made all these hooks so you could build in add-ons. And uh, ADOS, amongst many others too, like JDOS and a bunch of others, all had these little you know, RAM hooks changed to code them first, add in these new functions you could do, and then come back and you know finish off with any regular Basic, depending on what you were trying to do. Well probably going in the weeds here a little bit but yeah <laughs> well it, it explains it better no problem well um ron you're always good about letting us know when it, when it might be time to take a break and <laughs> <laughs> are my eyes yellow <laughs> <laughs> well, i i'm kind of feeling that way so uh why don't we take a commercial we will come back with more goodness here from coco talk including a special um, Coco Thoughts. So uh, we'll be right back after this. You are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy-colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original color computer, the Coco 3, and the world-renowned exclusive French computer. Radio Shack. Un ordinateur couleur, quelle la personnalité Le Coco 2 de Radio Sac. On solde pour Noël à partir de 149,95. And now, Coco Thought by Samuel Gimes. If you're using your color computer in Quebec and it stops working, is it now a Coco won't do? 
8 slot MPI, floppy drive, Coco SDC, sound speech pack, orchestra 90, RS-232 pack, modem pack, super IDE. You start adding all those together if you want them all usable at the same time. Well, guess what? You just went over the four slot MPI. Chris Boyle, part of the uh, Coco Jack crew of people, and a lot of us are here down at the Coco Fest, having a great time. It's the second day, and we're just about done, so you guys have to come out next year. All situations depicted in this trailer actually happened. This true story has been anonymized to protect the guilty. in the dead of winter, a group of bored teenagers blew stuff up, learned code cracking, learned phone freaking, hijacked and hacked. No system was safe. No one could catch them, or so they thought. story at the dawn of the internet system hacked we now return you to Cocoa Talk and we're back welcome back to Coco Talk where we're celebrating the 40th birthday of the TRS-80 color computer and basic 09 38th birthday of the Dragon Computer, 34th birthday of the Tandy Color Computer 3. And um, I believe, um, Nick, we have a special Coco Thoughts today. And um, right. we're going we're gonna to go play that and then come back and discuss that. Is that uh, about right? Yep. All right, everybody. Uh, Samuel Gimes always has a lot on his mind, and Samuel Gimes has uh, lately been joining the uh, High Score Challenge, um, and it's really inspired him. So let's uh, let's hear what he has to say about. I, I don't think I'm giving away anything, uh, Nick, by saying this is about bomb threat. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's totally. Uh, that's so let's hear uh, Sam Sam Gimes. Here we go. And now, 
Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gow- Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Sorry, folks. No Coco Thought this week. Times being how they are, I've had to take another part-time job. So, well, I'll see you when I see you. Get a review of that one from Nick Morandi since that's a spoof of a popular Australian band. You know, I right. put my dogs that was a outside. DCAC song. <laughs> DCAC. Yeah. Hey, did did someone call a third alarm for the dumpster fire? <laughs> you really have to watch out for that Ark of the Covenant. 
Yes. Wow, I'm uh, I'm I'm uh, speechless. Uh, I think we're all a little concerned about Samuel Gimes. Um, this is a this is a tough gig. Uh, his uh, his new uh, part time job that he took. Um, Robert Murphy in the chat says, "I am more I'm worried more about Samuel Gimes lately than I usually am. Someone needs to head over there on a health and welfare check." I feel bad that we're profiting off his breakdown. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what gets me, but. <laughs> I, I I'm sure we, I'm sure it'll pass. I think we need a trip to Nightmare Highway. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Thank well, you, Samuel. Again, you do you do a really great uh, great job encapsulating the uh, spirit of these games and the questions we all have in our minds. Who is shipping these bombs? It's, I don't know. Who are these people? What's the deal? What's the deal with the people shipping bombs? Who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, tell him to stop. <laughs> Go ahead, tell him. Well, it's just hard to continue after that video, but. Uh, oh, you mean Jason? Yeah, yeah Jason, oh. tell him to stop. <laughs> stop. Stop right there. Okay. That's it. <laughs> You're gonna start news. I'm gonna have to watch this guy operate the uh, PDP-8 when and the teletype machine. Are you talking about uh, the VCF stuff? VCF West. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you're distracted, Mikey. Maybe you yeah. want to change Well, you, you guys can watch, channel. too. <laughs> All right, well, we're not there yet, We're kind Mikey. of doing a show right now, Mikey. <laughs> we're kind of yeah. in the middle yeah. of a show. Sorry. We're a little busy right now. But uh, I'm sure it'll all be on demand. Uh, we'll talk about VCF later in the caboose. But I think, uh, Nick, uh, we want to do a little bit of your um, the high score video announcements. Do we need any prep uh, for this? Do you want to talk about no, the scores? No, roll the video, and then we'll talk about the uh, game afterwards. See you on the other side. There's no more. High score challenge with Nick Oh, welcome to the game on results. This week we had 13 people playing Bomb Threat. Brian Weasler with 6,200. Our Alan Murphy, 8,600. Rogelio Perea, 22,300. Brian Schubring, 23,550. Jim Rye, 40,850. OG Stevie Stroh, 44,050. Tom C, 68,750. Canadian Retro Things, 81,500. Me, 89,200. David O'Connor, 127,950. Buck Owens, 270,200. Mr. Dave, 6309, 378,800. And the number one score this week was Frodo with 1,014,050. Thank you so much for all the participants this week. Yes, you heard that correct. You got 1 million. And you had to do math to figure out the score, too. That was the fun part. I'm going to go ahead and... Can I take control there, uh, Rob? Of course. Just a second. Go ahead, Nick. Thank you. So can you see my browser? Yep. Yes. So, yes, uh... Mr. Uh, Mr. Frodo got a million, and and word of his four-hour gaming marathon got out there, and because of that, we have a sponsor this week. 
depends <laughs> for when for when you can't get away from your game because there's no pause. So and, and you don't mind. So uh, yes, he he played for four hours this week. And, but his uh, whole game was four hours. He played more than that. <laughs> no, yeah, his one game was four hours. So the uh, Nick, the answer to if there's no pause, can you still go to the bathroom? It depends. <laughs> is that... That's correct. So this is Mr. Uh, this is Frodo's uh, first part of his game play early on, and um, so yeah, well, let's just let's play for a bit while I, I Rick Rick Adams couldn't be here, uh, so I did talk to him a little bit about some uh, the game and ask him a couple questions, and uh, some of the tidbits that I got out of talking with him, uh, the original inspiration for this game was the uh those 15 slider puzzles that you see we gotta put the numbers in order uh that was one inspiration uh pengo was another uh, thing that was in his mind and then another one he forgot the name of but i'm thinking there was a game called sokoban which involved moving uh crates yep. around and stuff so i'm kind of wondering if that might have been it um i asked him what tandy's reaction to this game was because he submitted this game to Tandy uh, unsolicited. And uh, so they expressed interest, uh, but they weren't as enthusiastic about it as Temple of Rom. They said they made a couple of suggestions, one of which was to add a block that would diffuse a bomb that it touched, uh, which he didn't like that idea. Um, And he kind of waited and they didn't really respond to him. Uh, And then finally uh, they said they they weren't going to go ahead with it. Because uh, the Coco 3 was looming at the time, and they were starting to take interest in promoting the Coco 3 games instead. Uh, he tried shipping it around to a couple third parties, and nobody took, took uh, nobody bit. So this game ended up not being released. And um, when he got back into the scene, and he was looking uh, recently, he was looking for uh, he was looking for the disc that had the game on it, and couldn't find it. And uh, then his kids remembered that there was a VCR recording of them playing the game back in the day. So Rick uh, found the VCR tape and recreated the game based on the footage uh, of that recording. Um, And I asked from scratch, I asked him, did any of the old code come to your mind as you were recording, as you were um, recreating it? He said, no, not really. Uh, so he basically, it was a re- total recreate. Uh, there were some aspects he couldn't replicate. Uh, the sound was done by altering the DA converter during the draw loop for the blocks. So if you pushed an increasing number of blocks, the sound got lower in pitch because of moving more around. At first he thought that was a bug, but he realized that made sense because as the forklift was pushing more blocks, uh, it would it would slow down. Uh, but as he recoded this version, that didn't happen. Uh, he coded it differently. So he had to actually artificially add a um, sound altering uh, routine to make the tractor sa- uh, forklift uh, sound lower as it was pushing more. Um, he used the video to analyze the size of the blocks. And uh, he, uh, he coded using, uh, using a um, Cocoa Pie as his coding environment. Uh, and then he eventually got a Coco 3 from Henry Reitveld, which was upgraded and, uh, and, and, and whatnot. And uh, I asked if he had any game ideas percolating currently. Uh, so he's finishing Omnistar right now. 
Uh, he's got a couple other ideas after that, but they're vague at this point. And um, oh, I asked if he had to relearn anything when getting back in the cocoa, uh, getting in back into the cocoa. And he said, yeah, he did. He had to relearn a lot of his, uh, his uh, assembly language stuff. But the basic instruction set was still in his head after all these years. So, and uh, there's, uh, he did an interview with Stevie uh, a while ago. I'm going to post, uh, when I can, I'll paste the link in, in the chat. Um, but he answered, some of this stuff was in that interview along with other stuff. So I thought that was pretty interesting. So uh, now for this video that we're watching now, there are a couple of milestones that were pointed out to me. So I'm just going to fast forward to, hold on, give me a sec. Let's go to 235. So keep an eye on the score. Oh, let me fast forward a little bit more. This is uh, we're still about a minute out. You taking us to the the million? No, well, we're taking you to the wrap over. The wrap over. It's not a million. Is it playing? Yeah, I think. Oh no, that wasn't. Sorry. So watch the score. So the wrap over, because of the way he coded the score, it actually wraps at sixty-five five three five, which is of course two to the to the to the sixteenth. Yeah, it's an unsigned sixteen-bit number. He had a hard-coded zero on the end of the score, you know, for the tens. It never changes. So basically, he's got five digits up to six five five three five, which is when a sixteen-bit number wraps over, and that's exactly what happened there. So it actually sparked a discussion in Discord about that, and I think he's gonna at some point maybe go back and and change some of the stuff, but for now, that's what happens. But um, I will mention, because some some people might not know this, but uh, Frodo, for his 1 million score, actually took the original 65.5350 and added it to what his you know eventual second yes. round score to get the million. So it's a legitimate million. It's not a... You know, actually, skip. Frodo at first assumed it wrapped at 99.9 because he wasn't paying full attention. And then Rick came in and said, no, actually, it wraps at 65.535. So, uh, so Frodo did compute the proper score. This is this, this contest is on the up and up. We don't want any uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. hate mail. Shenanigans. <laughs> okay, so let me bring you to another checkpoint, another uh, milestone here. Um, okay, so it's three So this is going to be going to level uh, 129. Nine. Nine. Something kind of interesting happens at level 129. Alright. So this is, sorry, this is finishing up 128. Okay. Oh my goodness. Game kind of gets in easy again. I don't know. I don't know why. Um, I'd say a signed eight-bit number for the level would be my guess. <laughs> yeah. But the easiness doesn't last long because 
when we go up to, okay, so 355, eight. So I'm talking to myself here, which is, oh, sorry. Okay, so he just, he's finishing this level, and now we're gonna be starting level 145 after this is cleared off. And you'll see the difficulty seems to uh, jump back up again. So. That's right. Very good. My timing got all messed up. No problem. Are you going to be announcing the um, next week's game? Yeah, just a sec. All right. No, you should keep that to yourself, Nick. Yeah, yeah. That way no no one can beat you. Take your time, uh, Nick, by the way. We don't... uh... Sounds like you're rushing him. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here watching the same screen. No, I just uh, wanted to show you what happens to the next level. How, anyway, oh, it's okay. These were milestones that Frodo had pointed out. I'm just kind of. I just kind of wanted to show them off. Yeah, no. It was no kind of like a jump scare there, wasn't it? <laughs> Three bad guys, five thousand bad guys. Well, I also have to mention Frodo's technique, his uh, his basic premise of how he gets the good scores, because he mentions it in chat here. So. Okay, now we're at the right time. So level one forty-five, and you'll see the difficulty jumps back up. <laughs> oh my scare. <laughs> As he said, at this point, basically it's luck, and he got to level one forty-seven, and uh, he kind of little lapse of concentration, and yeah, yeah, because at this level you're so packed in with squares that are filled up, you basically have to let some bombs explode and hope to God they're right not right near you when you're stuck in a place you can't move. So yeah, so usually at this point we talk about anybody who played the game if they had any. Any uh, feedback on the game, what they thought or liked? So the one thing we kind of found for scoring challenges, uh, currently the way the game is coded, you only really have to save one crate to keep going. So in theory, uh, you can play very conservatively and keep playing for for a long time. Um, yeah, and along that line, Frodo mentions in chat here, and this is a, a technique, like a, a mindset of playing the game that I wouldn't have thought of. And I have played the game, I didn't get a chance to play it this week because I... My, my day yesterday I was going to be playing it actually got kind of messed up but um, he mentions that uh, the secret is basically when playing I basically concentrate only on saving the forklift he's not even concerned about the packages you I mean, obviously you need one to survive to the you next level you need one to survive yeah yeah but basically you're protecting the forklift so you're not near a bomb when it goes off and that's yeah. a, a totally different mindset from what I was trying to do and I never got scores anywhere near this when I played it so I bow to the master Frodo NL on this one <laughs> well, I did ask him to show us what happened at level 256, but that didn't. Uh... I'm just kidding. I said, wait, you don't have next, you don't have eight hours to spare? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we send him some depends. There we yep. go. I think it'd be cool. Well, he, he did mess up one. He did lose one life going to get tea. So, he, I mean, you know, we have to actually send him a travel mug go, and, go a, and a USB cup warmer. Brian, were you. Anyway, are you saying something? I was going to say, do you, do you have to be, is it, is it one, uh, one crate's width away from the bomb to not explode? Or is it a two? Couple. Right? Look like a, a look couple. Look like it's about two, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, this yeah. is the first time I've ever played the game uh, before, and I only had a little bit of time to play, and that was the score that I kind of that I was able to achieve. But uh, I was trying to figure out what what what's the right strategy and uh, to play the game, uh, you know, moving things around and. Um, I tried a couple of different joysticks too. I, I don't know if anything really worked better for me or not. Yeah, I like the uh, digital control pad, the Sega, the Sega control pad. What else? Did, what else do people using? Yeah, I, I was just gonna say I, I was using the Sega, but um, one thing that would be nice because you do once you get the bombs all in a certain place, or you really can't do anything with the bombs, you're just sitting there waiting for them to go off. Which um, it would be cool if you could stack a certain number of boxes together and collect the points early so you would still have stuff to do while you're waiting for all the bombs to go off um, you know because at some at some point you're just sitting there and you know you can't do anything but if you had like motivation where okay if I if I put five squares in a row I'll instantly get those points then you would um, you would have a motivation to continue to move stuff around while it's um, you know, while the bombs are going off. Well, in in Discord, we were giving some unsolicited uh, improvements to develop to Rick as, as developers love. So, <laughs> if I, I mean, if you were interested in doing a sequel to Bomb Threat, incorporating a couple of uh, whatever, I'd definitely be interested in buying it. So, because this is oh, a really absolutely. cool game. Yeah, and as Frodo NL points in the chat here too, you know, it's it's good to have these places where you actually sit around and stuff because it is you time to go pee or get tea. So <laughs> well, that's true. that's true. I never uh, I never really thought about that. Without a pause, you kind of need that time. <laughs> so uh, anybody else, or are we? Uh... Well, if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna suggest a feature create, maybe maybe a pause function. <laughs> <laughs> Wimps. Uh, <laughs> yes. You're not a real gamer if you're not willing to go in your own pants just to make a high school. That's right. That's what the pens are for. Come on. That's right. All right. So uh, thanks, guys, for taking part. And uh, thank you, Frodo, for all your hard work. And, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Actually, there's, to, uh, there's an update right? from Frodo in the chat here, too. He says he uh, Rick's already gotten rid of most of the bugs apart from the score rollover, and Frodo's been helping him beta test the new version the past few days. <gasps> Ooh, interesting. I had no idea that that was actually happening. It All doesn't right, have maybe, a pause feature. Maybe there will be a bomb threat to Electric Boogaloo coming. <laughs> or at least a 1.1, yeah. All right. You're here first again. Um... Sorry, this menu keeps popping up on me covering what I want to do. Okay, so uh, are we ready to talk about next week's game? Now keep it to yourself. <laughs> I'm just going to skip it. Go I'm for it. Gonna... All right, so next week's game will be... Anybody recognize that? Cashman. That's right. Cashman. One of the one of uh, I think is one of the top platformers for the Coco, uh, based loosely perhaps on Jumpman for the Commodore, um, and Atari and etc. But it is a little bit different. It's not exactly the same. So uh, there is a Coco three patched for uh, color palette version. But one thing you can do with this actually is hit the space bar. It puts it in P mode three, and then you can do your own palette. Hey. Uh, modifications. Uh, yeah, and that's how most of the Dragon like. players played it. So, that's going to be our game for next week. 
just start on the uh, we'll start on the, on the right from the beginning and go as far as you can and get the highest score you can and that's it. Cool. Well, well, Stevie just joined the panel. I don't know if Stevie, if you had any comments on the Samuel Grimes video, the uh, game bomb threat, or next week's game of Cashman. Oh, actually, I'm just tuning in, so I missed it all. Oh well, good. Where were you? <laughs> okay, we'll start from the beginning. Okay, Rob, can you roll the? Uh... Okay. Thanks for everybody for coming to rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna play the. I'm gonna replay the Samuel Gimes video, so you get to see that. And before you do that, I'll just say thank you guys for another week, and I look forward to um, this week's gaming and. Yeah, I'm going to make darn sure I play this, though. This is one of my favorites from back in the day, especially when you get to the super hard levels past level 41, where you have invisible squares and, and just all kinds of things get thrown at you type thing, and it, it gets very, very difficult. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know how many levels are in the game. I think the highest I've ever made is 47 or 40 something. 40-something, yeah. Nick, you made it sound oh. interesting, and you did well explaining stuff about uh, Rick Adams. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Made it interesting. Anybody want to send me positive feedback like Ron just did? Please. Uh, anyone? Anyone? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can provide you with some feedback, Nick, as always. Oh. Yeah, I, I thought you looked amazing in that Tiger Beat magazine cover. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I thought hard. I thought hard about cutting my hair. It was a really hard decision because <laughs> it became so it became a thing. But it was just too hot. <laughs> Temperature wise and apparently physically wise. Looks wise, yeah. Looks wise. <laughs> More ways. So, uh, oh, sorry. Let me kill the uh, share here. All right. Well, let me. Uh, so, thanks, guys. Okay, we're gonna reshare system sound. Woo! Um, so, why don't we take a look at Samuel Gimes, who I I am feeling stressed from Samuel Gimes' new job, especially now that we've seen how dangerous it is. Um, but I he had to try a job in a nightclub or something because he <laughs> certainly can't sing. <laughs> oh no. Oh. Whoa! No thanks, Whoa. Ron. Okay, okay, Simon Cowell. Not, not my kind, Ron. I mean, he's sorry. Got, you know, he's got bombs exploding to the left of him and well, to the right. They should keep it in bombs. <laughs> All right. Well, we're wow, gonna... harsh. <laughs> Ron Delo, everybody. Not my favorite. Not his favorite. All right, mm -hmm. we're gonna hear from Samuel uh, Gimes, uh, and then. Um, a commercial, and we'll come back with some news with L. Curtis Boyle. So uh, yeah, I'll do the game, the gaming news first, just to kind of keep it in sequence with the gaming part, and then we'll go on to the regular news after that. All right. Well, if you're not Ron Dalbo, you you might want to watch <laughs> this uh, video again. This is a perfect time for a pee break Let's for go. you, Ron. All righty. <laughs> and now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel. G hold it! Hold it! Hold it! Hold it! Hold it! Sorry, folks. No Coco Thought this week. Times being how they are, I've had to take another part-time job. So, well, I'll see you when I see you. Yeah. 
it's a big bomb threat. There's dynamite. Big bomb threat. And I'm in a fright. Big bomb threat is another load. Big bomb threat. Watch it explode. It's a big bomb threat. This kind of might. Big bomb threat. And I'm in a fright. Big bomb threat. Here's another load. Big bomb threat. Watch it What's going on, everybody? Original Gamer Stevie Stroh here with you. And in case you didn't know, I've actually got merchandise, right? So I've got now two DVDs. This was my first DVD I released last year for the 25th anniversary last Chicago Cocoa Fest. This features 20 videos and three hours of color computer game videos. This is my second DVD. This is a brand new one for the 2017 um, last Chicago Cocoa Fest. And this one features 13 brand new color computer gameplay videos that you won't see anywhere else. Robocop. Ooh, Robocop. Gotcha, sucker. This is not bad. Not bad at all. Yes, I did it. Oh, freaking right. Look at that. I made it past the yellow belt. Very cool. Oh, crap. I am getting the crap freaking bombed the hell out of me here. Okay, that the square guy looks kind of like a puckering sphincter. All right, there we go. Game over. Oh, that didn't last long. <laughs> That's what she said. Okay, so I've got to jump over the spikes and under the ball. 
So if you like my videos and you want to help support a starving artist, you can head on over to 8bit256.com and grab yourself a copy of one or both of these DVDs because they're both awesome. And if you like color computer gameplay videos, you might like these DVDs. So check them out. Thanks for watching my videos, everybody. From the makers of the Switcheroo. Wallaby Cable, Color Computer 3 Dual RGB Cable. Get yours today at cocoman.biz. Big to scared you, didn't I? <laughs> Hello there, it's me, Hudson. Um, all the way from Melbourne to you, my darling. And um, congratulations on your talk show, Coco Talk. Oh my God, that's so exciting. I don't think I'd ever be good at a talk show. I just don't have anything ever to say, ever. Just can never think of things to say. It's just like, no words ever come out of my mouth. It's just very embarrassing. I just, it's just silence all the time. <laughs> my darling, I hope you're having a fabulous day. From me to you, bye. Extended Color Basic, combined with a disc controller, brings you Disc Extended Color Basic. Direct access to your floppies. Direct access to all of your hardware resources. Deck B on your color computer. Deck B washes away the competition. Hello, this is Grant Leedy with Coco Talk. Got your Coco 3 yet? From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on News with El Cardisco. A Muppet News Flash! I just have to say it's almost sacrilegious to have that particular ad playing inside the Nitrous 9 frame you've got going here. So <laughs> <just thought> <laughs> actually, it's funny. Deck B. Deck B, where the clear key okay. actually clears the screen. <laughs> Deck B, the halls. All right, Curtis, you want to take over? Yep. And I'll, we'll I'll go to the gaming news first, just to kind of keep in the game theme yes. after the bomb threats. So. Okay, so I want to post the link. So where should I start on your uh, updated link? Uh, the Game On News, which is the second or third chunk down near the bottom. Okay. I and will, I'll just kind of roughly go in order there. I will start there. Uh, if you want to share... Yeah, I'm just working on just remembering to put my share sound on. We should just default to that, but and we're a professional show, ladies and gentlemen. I think you're in the wrong show, Nick. Yeah, <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, I was watching the VCF on... feed with. Oh, uh, I see. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay, can you guys see that? Mm -hmm. Yes. It's a nuclear green. Yep. In honor of the 40th birthday of the Coco, this is kind of like the happy birthday screen. <laughs> so first up, uh, Jim Geary has been a pretty busy little ad here the last week. Um, he's got multiple games that he put up. So this first one here is a Missile Command on the MC-10. And this uh, requires the MCX-128 because he uses some higher res graphics and probably the extra memory as well. 
Uh, this one it was originally by a guy named Andrew Black, and it was in Dragon User Magazine in 1983, so it's a nice time to the dragon as well. Gameplay is a little different than the Mist Command in the arcade. Um, you've got a cursor velocity since the MC-10 by default doesn't have joysticks or even joystick ports. So their trails stay behind. Uh, after you kill one, you'll notice the it kind of stays there on the screen, kind of giving you this debris trail like you would see. And uh, the the lines aren't straight, you know, whatever angle it picks at the beginning when it comes on the screen. It doesn't go straight to that angle like the regular Mist Command does. It actually wanders around. It's almost like a semi-intelligent bomb which gives it a lot more of a challenge too. So uh, as you can see here, it, it, it's, it gets hard to hit because it'll suddenly zig left when you're trying to shoot it thinking it's still going to the right or something like that. So it's, it's quite the challenging version of the game, but per pretty good for the MC-10. So that was his first one. The next one up, this is actually a pretty impressive looking one too. It's called Cave Raid. Um, and this is an original game he and his son did. You'll see in the credits there, Jim and Charlie. Um, for the MC-10. So it's loosely based on Scramble where you're going through a scrolling cave, but you're having to collect some objects and shoot some objects, or avoid objects, I should say. Uh, you don't really do any shooting and bombing. You also have to navigate the cave walls. So, but uh, this is all written in basic. There's no assembly language subroutines here. So I was curious as to how he actually, you know, got the scrolling at a fairly decent speed in basic. And he actually used a technique that I'd done years ago and forgotten about. Uh, so silly me, but basically you build a string of your entire cave thing of each row of the cave, and then you just do a mid-string at the starting position, comma 32. So you're just printing the mid-string 1, comma 32, then 2, comma 32, 3, 32 for each line. And as you print them on the screen, basically you're going through your scrolling map. And it even allows you to go both directions if you wanted to. So but it's a it's a pretty pretty cool looking game for the MC10. And this one does not require the MCX. And there's I think three levels in it too and there's some other things that happen in the later levels that I won't tell you you'll have to try the game yourself. And then uh, he also did one called Red Alert. And this is a port from the original TRS-80 Space Adventures book, which I think, Brian Weasel, I think you've shown that on the show before, if I remember correctly. Let's forward a bit there, there we go. So it almost looks like a River Raid style game, which you have to like go to the side and gather, like shoot sideways to gather some of these objects, the at signs, while navigating this you know corridor that gets narrower as you you know, progress levels and you get to shoot you know other objects that are trying to get at you too so his theme this week seems to have been scrolling games he's got a sideways scroller and a vertical scroller and different colors as you go through in the different levels and then the last one he did and i think this actually might have been out in time for me to put on last week i think i just missed it but uh and I don't have the video of this one handy, but it's uh, available for download on the MC-10 group. And it's uh, this one was actually scavenged from the Alice, which is the red MC-10 clone from France. And it's, a, as he called it, a weird puzzle game. And uh, I unfortunately I haven't had a chance to play it, so I'm not really sure what the rules or anything are on this one. But uh, it's available for download on the MC-10 Facebook group if you guys want to try it out. So four games from Jim this week. Cool. Wow. The man's a machine. He's the uh, yes. Ed Snyder of the MC10 software world. There's an MC10 resurgence going on, so yeah, <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Next up, uh, Erico, who's been you know working on this uh, semi-graphics four-based fighting game with some incredible animations for that mode, actually put up his first official blog post of it, 
kind of explaining what he's doing and what he's attempting to do. The fact he's using XWorks for the development, et cetera, and then you know showing some of the sample code and you know how the graphics work. So people that are reading this and aren't familiar with the MC10 or the Coco, you know, understand how the graphics mode work and what some of the limitations are. So it's a pretty good article for a start, and he also shows some of the games that you know kind of inspired him to do this. There's a an Apple one too. But then he actually released a video of the work in progress here. And it's only 56 seconds, I think I played all the way through. So he's actually got some sound effects from basic using the play command that actually sounds pretty good. Um, I know he's been talking a little bit with Simon. If you can keep the speed of the game up, Simon has that background two voice music player that runs on the Coco one and two two. So he might, if he has enough CPU time left over, actually try to get background soundtrack running while you're playing the game, which would be really awesome. Uh, so we'll keep you posted on that, but uh, the animations he's got, considering the limitations of the graphics mode here, incredible. Can you guys hear the sound okay there, or is that too loud? It's it's good. Okay. He's got like flying jump kicks and you know health bar meters he's got in there too, and, and he's got you know various moves that you can do both both players. And the really nicely drawn cityscape, which we saw last week. I'm very impressed because, I mean, this this is something we would have had the capability of doing back in the 4K days, speaking of the 40th anniversary of the Coco. Um, you probably wouldn't have fit too many animations in 4K, but like the original 16K version of the Coco that came out at the same time, I mean, we could have had this back then. And I think it would have been quite impressive at the time. That's good. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, next up, Marlon Lee. I'm still trying to get him to be on the show. Uh, he's pretty busy these days, unfortunately, with work and stuff. And uh, it, you know, by the time I get a response from the show, it's usually over. So hopefully we'll get something lined up here. I really want to get him on for an interview and kind of go through how he started his channel. But he did a new Coco game, our, our new Coco video game this week, which he did Outhouse. Hey, guys. Today we have uh, Outhouse. Which is a game that was originally on the Model 1 and 3, and then got ported to the Coco afterwards with color and stuff added. Quite, a, quite an original game. Quite a fun game. In terms of the gameplay, this isn't necessarily a, video, a lot different from other games. And next up after that, uh, Paul Shoemaker, we kind of previewed his uh, Poker Squares, which is based on an earlier Datasoft card games package that Tandy sold. Uh, for the Coco 1 and 2. He actually released the full game. It's actually available for download on uh, Facebook right now. I'm assuming it's going up to the archive soon. And he actually sent me a copy of the card graphics because I'm actually going to create a pre-setup set of get put buffers for uh, Nitrous 9 so that that entire deck of cards he's got, you can then use in your own programs in, in Nitrous 9. It'll be included with Beta 6. So anybody wants to write a card game, you don't have to worry about drawing all the cards. It'll be there ready for you. You just have to write the actual game logic. So here's a screenshot of the, the final version. You can see the detail on the cards and stuff. And you know, he's got his little help screen stuff there too. But it, it, he's got a mixture of basic and some ML routines to speed up the drawing of the cards. It's a pretty pretty cool game. I've had a chance to play it a little bit. And it plays you know similarly to the original um, Datasoft one that uh, Tandy sold. Have, have any of you guys downloaded and tried this out yet? Or? No, not no, yet. It's good looking though. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. So anyway, when when uh, Easy Views Beta Six comes out in months' time, it's it's a uh, ways off yet. Uh, if any of you guys want to write some card games, then you'll have this entire deck 
ready to go for your your own card games too. So many thanks to Paul for donating that and allowing me to put that on the UU. And next up, I I, I was going to play this, but since is Chet still on the panel? I'm presuming. <clears throat> yep. 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 Yeah. So I mean, you you basically did some you know tweaks to the AI. You did some uh, tweaks to the digging styles. Like it's kind of like you mentioned at the beginning of the show here, you're kind of tweaking the the gameplay and and you know how the enemies and stuff react. Mm-hmm. And and you mentioned you're still kind of tweaking that. Now you're kind of tweaking the final levels and stuff. So uh, did is there anything you wanted to add on onto that, Chet? Uh, not really. I mean, there, there's uh, there's just a lot of tiny little things that are being done right now. It's just, you know, all the little details. You, know, you see something that, uh, you know, the guard, oh, wait, he's not really supposed to do that ever. And you want to go in and, and, and take care of that. You know, there, there's little things like, you know, for the the uh, the spikes, you want to make them a little bit more visible. So I've added some more uh, graphics on that to call that out a little bit. You know, just little little details like that that, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, that, that that's going to suck for the player. Or, uh, or or that's going to give you know the the player kind of a bad experience. You know, you you've got certain situations where, um, you know, you've got the fall through block. That, that that's kind of a standard you know mechanic for for this particular game. Um, but you've got other areas where you don't want the uh, the player to be uh, you know getting killed for for no reason or have the you know the, the challenging you know input or the uh, you know the challenge isn't so much the game or their skill level it's it's you know shittiness of the game so you know <laughs> yeah, i want to get all that stuff out of there so you know you and paul have been helpful with, with, with that and I'll, I'll be getting copies out to some other people here pretty soon too um but yeah it's just all those little little nitty-gritty details that you gotta t- you know take care of as you're going through it that uh, that you know they're unfortunately time consuming yeah and as you said you changed the eye a little bit and, you know, it affects the whole game. So now certain levels may not play as you were expecting and, and then might actually become, you know, too difficult or too easy for the player, depending. Yeah, I mean, right, like right now I'm testing it where the, you know, the, the guard may, you know, randomly take a, a, a an alternate route um, on their trip. And, you know, sometimes it's happening a little bit too often and there's areas where it shouldn't be happening at all. So, you know, making sure that that, that all is all short up. I just had one guy go just right, run right off of the screen, right off the map. <laughs> so <laughs> you, know, you don't want that happening. Yeah, I'm sitting there looking at it and I stopped for a second. I was like, where the hell did he go? And then, you know, I'm seeing other side effects. Like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I added in the, the, uh, um, the anti-shadow to, to kind of, you know, split the gomers up. So you don't have one overlapping on the other. And what I've noticed over the last couple of days is that when you see two of them converge, they're both going in opposite directions and they happen to, to converge. One will change direction and go and maybe go with the other one. He may actually re, uh, uh, you know, reevaluate where the player is, you know, uh, in response. And I was like, well, do I want to leave that in there? I'm like, no, that's, that's actually a pretty good, good accident because it's like, okay, these two gomers are spent. It's like, Hey, this, this asshole's over here. Let's go get him. Okay, so they kind of like split split up to attack you. Tonight. No, no, they 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 uh, <clears throat> they uh, come together. Oh, okay, they gang up on you then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's there's stuff that I've added in. You know, since then, whereas later on they'll uh, randomly split up. Cool. <clears throat> now, are you still planning on doing these live streams too? Like when you when you have the free time, so the people can kind of review them afterwards and stuff. Or uh, yeah, I've, been, I've kind of been doing them in, in the mornings. You know, it gives uh, uh, you know some of the players some of the the, the basic gameplay and, and basic techniques for uh, for doing it. You used to be you know playing some of the uh, uh, the more advanced levels where it's uh, you know it, it does get tricky. And then there's some that I haven't shown at all, which uh, you know you you will want to kind of watch these videos. And I'm going to take some time to, to do kind of an instructional video rather than just kind of, you know, printed documentation or something or, or, or even in-game, uh, you know, instructions, cause they are, they're pretty large. You want to give an, an overview 
of the uh, uh, of the game. So I'll give kind of a playthrough of your first five levels, teach some techniques and stuff. And and uh, I mean, it's got 40 levels, and I'll be able to create more after I release the game. So I'll, I'll be doing a tournament pack for for those that want to uh, really really challenge themselves. That's going to be the really frustrating pack. Is that That'd be good for about? a game on challenge? Yeah, that'll that'll be a uh, kind of like uh, hard uh, hard mode with uh, with some steroids. It's it's um, yeah. I, I've actually got about a dozen and a half puzzles that I've had to pull out because they're just way too difficult to uh, to, to accomplish. I mean, you've got four time sensitive ones that you have to do in order in a very particular way, or you don't get done. <laughs> So you might release puzzle packs in the future, kind of thing. Do you think, or? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to release the details so that other people can, uh, you know, make levels on this. Uh, I just don't know how oh, I'm going to handle nice. the, the, yeah, the pack because the all of the maps are um, packed into a single file and then they're loaded in. So I don't know how mm. I'm going to do the replacement because it, I use a virtual file system for that now, so that it loads them all in and, and bundles them up, so that when I go to open a file, I can go ahead and, and just you know read it from memory rather that memory buffer rather than uh, you know using a regular RAM disk or, or pulling off of the floppy. So I've got everything in memory now as before it was it was off the disk. Right. Um, so I've got uh, I mean I've still got room for you know a few more levels. I'm not going to add any in though. Um, I mean it, it's at uh, it's actually at 40 now. It grew four because I inserted some into uh, to help with the uh, with the difficulty on the first uh, on the first 15 levels kind of get some uh, uh, some additional you know, kind of uh, breathing room in there and, and, and not so not so hard so that that skill level that that, that challenge is, is gradual until you get you get to about 15 and then it starts getting really hard. And you're keeping the password system, right? We can jump to any level. Once you have yeah, you'll be able to jump to any level, but you won't. Be, it won't be just simple numbers, simple hexadecimal numbers. That you, there'll, there'll be actual six character yeah. uh, things. No, so. I, I know that's a placeholder for now, but yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Yeah, right, don't Jeff, go looking this, through the code because nothing's more frustrating than having to play through earlier levels to get to later ones again. Like that's that's good. Yeah, I, I, I've actually got a mode in here where you where you actually. I could set up to where you have to play three or four different levels in a row in order to proceed. And yeah. if you die on like level three, you go back to the one I, I considered right. using that for the last two or three levels just to, just to be a dick. And uh, because they're, they're, they're tremendously, I mean, the, the last three levels are, are very, very difficult. Um, I've actually had to tone them down a little bit. And in fact, uh, half a dozen of the, the puzzles that I, I, I told you I pulled out came from those last couple of levels. Um, uh, right now I've got, I think it was uh, rage quit, uh, from the demo as a, uh, as a placeholder, uh, for that, but they, uh, they are, they do take quite some time to, uh, to complete. They are, um, uh, and they are heavily puzzle based. See, I'm trying well, to I, figure out if you're a good guy or a bad guy. Cause I've seen you playing online and laughing saying, oh, you guys are going to hate me. But then it also <laughs> sounds like you're trying to be fair too. So I'm, I'm, uh, so I'm, I'm trying to see where you fit in the, uh. <laughs> the realm of dickishness. Yeah, I mean, I want, I want the, I want the game to be, to be challenging. I mean, it's, it's one thing to go through the, the first ten or, or fifteen levels and, and really get it, but then you've got a, a, a much steeper, um, you know, climb and, and skill set and, and gameplay. So it's, you know, there's some replay value there with both the, the hard and the, and the, the easy modes. But at the same time, I want that whole experience to be challenging. Um, yeah. So in, in doing, cha- you know, making things challenging, you also find situations where it's like, oh, okay, that's just way too much. That's really going to, that's going to be a bad experience for the player. They're going to see that or they're going to experience that. It's like, why did I die here rather than, oh, I died because of me. 
So if all of your deaths are more because of you, mm-hmm. because of something that you've done or you weren't seeing, then you're having a much better time. You're, you're challenging yourself. Whereas right. if you're fighting with the game and the game control suck or the, the response of the, that the game sucks, then, then you're not really going to enjoy it. So uh, Jeff, real quick, uh, uh, Jeff, real quick, before we move on to the next uh, news topic, uh, what's mm-hmm. the minimum requirements for this? It's uh, obviously a Coco 3, but memory? Uh, 512K6809. That's it. Perfect. Uh, one button, uh, one button joystick uh, is is recommended. You can play with the uh, you know with the keyboard. Um, I, I recommend playing with one of the uh, the, the game pads. I've, I've had much better experience with those, and, and mostly that's because I'm left-handed. So you know, playing with the the uh, uh, the deluxe joystick is a little difficult because you know the the uh, I like to control the stick with my left hand rather than and the buttons with my right. So since they're swapped, um, but yeah, definitely recommend a a joystick or a game pad. Um, and uh, you know. Working on that input, make it better. <laughs> cool. I think Paul Thayer, if I'm remembering, when he was testing, he usually plays keyboard, doesn't he? Uh-huh. And I've been playing with the deluxe joystick just because that's that's my go-to for everything these days. But yeah, and and, and making the uh, and, and making some of the the, the you know digging stuff easier. It, it's it's also um, it's a little more difficult on the uh, on the keyboard uh, for people who are used to using the up and down arrows rather than A and Z. And it does get a little clunky. I've, I've tried it, so I've I've got. Uh, on my task list, you know, adding support for the up and down arrow along with with A and Z. I just haven't had a chance to get it in there yet. But uh, um, it, it's yeah, you've got keyboard, joystick, and and uh, I actually thought about adding a uh, uh, support for the um, the select and or pause button on the um, uh, on some of the controllers, but I don't have any details on that. Cool. Definitely looking forward to it. And then I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting worried and scared about these later levels you're talking about here. Cause it's been hard enough around the level 17, 18 for me. So maybe, maybe yeah. Paul Thayer can make it all the way through, but <laughs> uh, he, he's going to get to about level 28 or 30 and then he's just going to fall apart. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a promise. Okay. So next up after that, and I don't know if he's still in the chat here, but me, Aaron actually did a live stream last night for a couple of hours and basically he was he had a whole bunch of his actual hardware machines hooked up so he had the atari he had the commodore 64 he had the amiga he had the coco and he was just kind of taking you know flurries from the chat you know suggestions of games to try on on the various machines all with real hardware and um, they did sneak in because this uh, next challenge they have on the amiga the game challenge they have on their side of things for the amiga is for pac-mania which is a you know, a clone of the arcade game of the same name, which is like the 3D Pac-Man. And we actually had an unofficial clone of that in the Coco 3 as well called Pac-Dude Monster Maze, which is not one we've had on the Game On Challenge yet here. So I'd suggested before I left for my mom's birthday, because I didn't get to see the live stream live myself, is that they should try that out uh, just to compare it with, you know, the Commodore 64 version and the uh, the, the Amiga version, etc. So they actually did play that. I'm just going to turn the sound down a little bit here. Dude. But it's a, it's a pretty good game. It's another one like like Chet's uh, Digger Three. It's five twelve K Coco Three Six Eight Oh Nine oh, required. Wow. Has okay. vertical requires, and hard or horizontal hardware scrolling. Background music track and, an and uh, basically all the game, gameplay elements are there. I think if I remember reading in the source, Ooh. that's one of the nice thing about it. The uh, the source code for this has actually been released. You can download it on my game site because Chris Brian Brian oh, O'Neill wow. actually gave permission mm-hmm. to do okay, so. This looks pretty, pretty so if you guys want to see how the game was written type Let's thing, see. you can you can give it a shot and you know look at how it's done it's a great game okay yeah oh it's actually probably one of my top i'd say my top 10 coco 3 games period of course i've got it in the raw joystick port i don't know how many people here on the panel have actually played this one since the system requirements are a little high but of course it plays fine in emulator too so were the requirements 
512K Coco 3 6809. Same as Digger Damn, 3. Oh, okay. Holy moly. This is a huge surprise. Yeah, I played that. It's a lot, it's lots of fun. It's a, it's one of the Gosh, even the one of the better Coco 3 games I stumbled across back in the day. This. Man, really? 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 <laughs> I see I've seen this game on other platforms, but you got surround sound on that one. He would uh, Oh, this is a fantastic game. I remember the first time that uh, that I played it, I was I was quite happy with it. It was right before I uh, I got it on the, the Coco before I moved to Ohio. guy would know who Hitty Youngman was. So you're cursed with. Uh, Jason, you need to reach out to him. He uh, had to switch his uh, joystick port from one port to the other. But this is like here. Okay, run the joy commercial. No, it's a it's a really good game. There's there's six mazes to go through. I think you have to play each one twice, if I remember correctly. Um, plays oh, very I mean, smooth. Uh, the the music for this, which ironically Boat didn't like, everybody else in the chat seemed to think was fine. And I think it's fine. I, I, was written by Chris Fry, and he was actually in high school, and he composed these as original compositions. So I would like give him a lot more benefit of the doubt than Boat is. It's funny the docs, um, like they're actually. And he's got two different songs. He's got one for your normal gameplay, and he's got one when you get the Energizer pellet that you can eat some of the ghosts. Now any of the ghosts that are still inside the trap at the in the middle, when you eat the pellet don't change color. So if they get released afterwards, they can still kill you. And of course, you know, Pac-Mini adds in the whole, you can jump over the ghost challenge. And I think if I remember on the later levels, I think the ghosts start jumping too, don't they? Does anyone in the chat aside from so. Uh, and the second button can be used for pause if you have a two button joystick. Yeah, that's right too. Yeah. It's a very, very good game though, but it was getting rave reviews. I, meant, I remember one of the people in the chat there actually said, this looks like an Amiga game, which is a pretty high praise. I remember downloading, there was a demo version of this back off of Delphi or BBS mm -hmm. back in the day also. Yep, yeah. And this was actually released while Rainbow was still around. This was actually advertised in Rainbow because it came out in 92 and Rainbow didn't, you know, they finished in, what is it, May of 93, I think it was. But this was actually a commercial product back in the day. Yes, Frodo, there it is. Very, very good game. Well, that shut me up. I'll have to put that one on your list there, Nick, for... Uh... Yeah, I, I had no idea it existed. I'm sorry. You should be. Yeah, you're supposed to be the games guru here. I mean, well, that's why I, t I take I take solicitations <laughs> or whatever the word is. You. We're just all jealous of your uh, gorgeous flowing locks you had there. I know. Horrible. Don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Isn't he dreamy? <laughs> uh, next one. This is a, a new YouTube channel I've not seen before. A guy named Bill Sexton did a quick video here of his Coco 3. I wish he'd saw it in landscape, not portrait, but... It's not bad, but showing the Coco 3, one of the um, slot machine things for the Coco 3, and this is the five line fruit slot. Now, I know there was Tom Mix had some versions of these like a slot machine. Then there was a whole um, casino package version by I think White Cloud Software that had Kino and slots and blackjack and a whole bunch of other things mixed in, too. So but unfortunately, because he shot it in portrait, it's kind of hard to see the details of the screen, but it's actually fairly well done as far as the graphics and stuff go, too. So. It was just nice seeing somebody new that I'd never seen make a Coco video before suddenly do it. This one I'll skip over because we kind of covered it already. This is the uh, the four hour marathon, you know, with bathroom breaks. Uh, Frodo NL playing bomb threat. I had it queued up for the wrap over, but Nick already covered that, so we'll skip that. Uh, next up, we've had this uh, fellow on before, Simon WGB, and he actually has a Twitch channel now where he live streams various retro consoles or retro computers. And uh, this last week, he actually did, I think it, it was supposed to be one single marathon Dragon 32 gameplay video of a bunch of uh, several games. 
And uh, I think he had some streaming issues in the middle, so it got split into two, which we're quite familiar with. That happens to us, too. But it ends up being he's got a three-hour, three-and-a-half-hour video and an hour-and-a-half video, so he's almost trying to rival Kokotok's length of time running. But he goes through a bunch of the Dragon games back then. This is a screenshot here from Tea Time. I'm not going to play them all. And he actually doesn't just you know do quick snippets and plays it for five minutes. He actually tries to play the game for like half an hour straight and get a fairly decent score. So he covers a few that are Coco ports back to the Dragon, like um, Donkey King and that kind of stuff. And then he plays some stuff that was original to the Dragon. So if you want some long gameplay videos of Dragon stuff, uh, it's, it's a couple of good videos to see. And there's the two links that uh, hopefully Rob has popped in. I can't see the chat at the moment. There's this part two. There's yes. Junior's Revenge in P mode three. Awesome, huh? Yep, I'm adding all these to the chat. Okay, cool. Thanks. And the last one here is uh, one of Stevie's favorite people, Geiger Punk, uh, also known as Rob's Retro Rambles. And this time he's playing Beyond the Seeming Moon, uh, which he's done Fembot's Revenge uh, a couple months ago. And this is the prequel. This actually came oh, out yeah. before. And it's kind of a 3D moon. arcade slash On Dragon 32. adventure game because it's got some adventure commands. And unfortunately, he didn't really get to too much of the game figured out here, but he always has this nice snarky commentary, which uh, is always entertaining. Mm-hmm. So it's worth, worth watching it for that. I don't know, one of those cards up here that doesn't show up. I don't know if any of you have played this game. Uh, it is a bit frustrating in, in some spots, but it's got arcade elements. Like you have to shoot the fembots that are wandering around and you have to figure out different disc colors. I, I and you can pluck like laser guns game. off the wall and start and firing back and stuff. Open. No. Like you never did figure out how to pick up these two objects. And I have, and I just can't remember because I haven't played the game a long time. I'll have to go back to it. Maybe leave him a message so he, he knows how to do it properly. Take. And that is the end of the game news. So, Rob, did you want me to go straight into regular news, or um, did you, you want? want why, why don't we just take a um, palate cleanser? Why don't I just run a little nightmare highway, and uh, we'll be right back with more news. As you start your journey to Coco Fest, you notice the road ahead is littered with rogue furniture. You realize you are driving on the nightmare highway. Nightmare highway. The game for the Tandy Color Computer One, Two, and Three. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Stunning low-resolution visuals. Digital to analog converted sound. 100% machine language and basic. What are they saying about Nightmare Highway? Nightmare Highway. Steve B. York says, Of all the games released this year, this is one of them. Elkert S. Boyle says, This will not be on my sight. Nick Marionette says, Crikey, look at the size of that croc. Get your complimentary copy of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. At cancanmakeit.com. If you got it for free, you paid too much. All right. And we're back. And Curtis, if you want to. Okay. Um, into news. Yep. Yeah. Um, first up, though, I think uh, Brian Weasley, you're still here, correct? Brian is is here. He's muted. Because uh, one of the stories that like I've I've taken in the last few uh, episodes here that I've, I've I've had you know some stories that I'm not sure if the person's going to be able to make the panel or not, and if they do, then I have them present the story, and then if they don't, then I'll I'll throw it in you know wherever they post it on Facebook or Discord or whatever. So in this case of Brian, uh, you had your new hands on basic book, so I thought I'd let you do that first before I get into the the regular quote unquote news. 
Okay. Yeah, it was a, a book that I had uh, been wanting to get there, and uh, um, yeah, here it is. Really kind of a kind of a neat book. I really I really like the cover of this thing. Kind of has a little trifold to it, like this, and uh, it's all laid out really nice. Yeah, and it's but, actually Coco was specific, and I've never heard of the author or the book before. That was a totally new one to me. Yeah, this uh, Herbert. By? Uh, Herbert, uh, uh, I guess you'd pronounce it. Uh, would you pronounce it uh, Peckham? Sure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, the um, let's see here. It's uh, uh, McGraw Hill. Okay, so major publisher. There, uh, uh, yeah, computer literacy. Yeah, it's a, it's a Hill book there. So. And does it cover extended basic too, or is it just basic color basic? Um, I think it's just color basic. I don't think it's into extended because he he talks about the the Coco one and two here, um, in the beginning here. Uh, let's see, there was something I thought I read here initially. There, what? Where did I read that here? Um, uh, this uh, this book is a modification of basic hands-on method, which introduced students to basic. Uh, on a number of different uh, platforms there. I'm trying to remember. I read something here. I started reading the beginning here, and I uh, I don't remember where I read it, though. Let's hear all students. Uh, well, he talks about extended color basic in here. Um, I'd have to look through it a little bit more and see uh, uh, what game examples, or not game examples, but examples they get in here if he actually does get into the uh, into the extended color basic with it. But, uh, no, I've seen, I, I saw this one once before, though, and I just... Uh, it's just really a neat-looking book, too. <laughs> yeah, that was a new one on, on me. Like I said, I've never heard of the author. I've never heard of the book before, so I, I, that was a, a nice find. How did you yes. find it? Was it just a neat random eBay thing you found? Or? Uh, yeah, there's a couple of different book sites that I kind of uh, um, that I roam around on, and, uh, yeah, I'd stumbled across it on that. So I can't remember if this one was an eBay one or if it was another website uh, where I saw this one out. So. It, it does have that McGraw Hill. This is a textbook wraparound over the cut edges, so I wonder if it was part of something. I'm not sure. Yeah, because it. Uh, I mean, just the way it uh, it folds. Where, where did I read it? I read something here. He actually talks about the cover here. I'd have to look. I'd have to. I'd have to find it again. He talks about like using the book and and stuff like that. I don't. Uh, uh, I I'd have to dump it here. Sorry, I wasn't prepared for this one here, but uh, uh, yeah, I kind of just kind of decided to do that on you. So no, no, that, that's fine. Um, I, I just I, I wish more books could have the spiral binding though, because that's nice. Because if you do want to sit there and do entry of one of the pro, you know actually Kia in a program, it's nice because it can just lay flat. You're not having to try to <laughs> try to hold it or prop something there to hold the uh, the book flat while you're trying to type it in there. So yeah, this one was a neat one. I've I've had this one on my list for a while. Cool. So I can't remember where I saw it though once before. I think. I can't remember if um, uh, if Carlos um, has this book. Maybe he had posted a picture about it on Facebook once, way back when. But I, I had written this name down, and it's just been on my list for a while. But uh, I don't know if Carlos Picasso, uh had it on there or not. But uh, yeah. Well, it's always interesting to discover new books because I mean, some people you know think that the Coco Marco was so small type thing, but judging by how much third-party stuff was done, I still think the numbers are higher than most people think. I, w I wish we could get official numbers from any of the Tandy personnel from a time like Mark, but. Well, and like, like Steve had said last week when I was showing some books, you know, it, it kind of, uh, kind of solidifies a little bit about the popularity of the color computer because um, although Tandy did publish a lot of books through their, um, you know, through themselves, 
there's an awful lot of books that were out there that probably were maybe just advertised maybe in rainbow or, or other, um, other sources. And that's where people would have bought them at the time. So, yeah. And there was quite a few of the, the cross platform books where you'd buy this book and have, here's the, uh, Commodore 64 version of the program. Here's the Coco version of the program. Here's the Atari 800 type thing. But there was quite a few Coco only books, which meant obviously the sales were there or, or something like McGraw Hill wouldn't be publishing them. Correct. Yep. I, I agree. Would agree with that. Yep. Cool. Anyway, I just wanted to, to get that out of the way with, from the horse's mouth as opposed to just me rattling it off from a Facebook post. Yeah, so. No problem. <laughs> hey, so back to the official news. I believe he, <clears throat> I believe he called you a horse. <laughs> right. Workhorse. That's, yep. that, that's fine. I, uh, I'll take uh, any, any comments. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is another one that actually had queued up uh, as a standby in case David could make it. Actually, David let us know this morning he has a migraine so that he wasn't able to make the show. But uh, he combined a couple of tandy things here. So he has his cocoa, and he decided to hook up to a tiny little realistic Pocket Vision 4, which is a tiny little portable TV from back in the day. Now, he had to do this in a kind of interesting way. This thing has no sockets to plug anything in, like composite or RF or anything. So we actually had to hack together an analog TV uh, antenna, basically, to broadcast it to this uh, screen here. So he kind of goes into a bit of an explanation there of, of hooking it up. Um, improvised making a crude transmitting antenna and earth plane from a couple of clip leads. It's far from perfect, but it worked, sort of. So it's it's not the greatest quality, but it did work. You can kind of see the SEC Explorer there on the screen. <laughs> so if you want a portable cocoa, I mean, this is the ultimate because, I mean, the thing's a size smaller than in like a, a smartphone for your entire screen. It'd be fun to play with games, I guess. Mm-hmm. Probably doesn't meet FCC approval for, you know, noise. But That would be a dang good thing inside of a cocoa, though. Any TV around, you just transmit to it. Actually, yeah, I never thought of that. No need, no, no, your wireless cocoa display, basically. I thought about picking up one of those. Those things do pop up on eBay from time to time, those little TVs, but they disappear really quick. So if you want one, you have to grab it then. Yeah. I mean, that would even be good because there's a bit of space in the Coco case too, especially with the modern upgrades, like two meg takes less room than the 512 did. You probably could even mount this on the top of the Coco itself and just have a portable Coco. There you go. And, you know, some of these USB plugins and stuff here, you can just, you know, plug in your cocoa at the airport with a little TV built in, plug it in the USB and for power and, and get I, lots I once, of strange looks from people. Go ahead. I once owned this TV and the thing you can't really see is the light is shining through the top onto a mirror. And unless you have a bright desk light shining through the top onto the mirror. You aren't going to get a display like that on this TV. So it's almost like a, a, a miniaturized projection TV then, the old ones. Exactly. Yeah, the yeah. Screen's, screen's on the top, and you're looking at a mirror. Here. Oh, okay, I right. didn't realize that from the picture. Yeah, cool. so instead of having like you like on a laptop where you'd have like a backlight that would actually illuminate the LCD display, it's using the ambient light from, from behind to shine through. Uh, on the, uh, It's kind of hard to see from this angle here. But the top of the lid is is actually kind of somewhat the light shines through that, and what you're seeing is the is the light shining through the LCD display and the reflection on the mirror from so the extremely well placed disc light. <laughs> right. So you couldn't you couldn't op, you couldn't watch this in in a dark room. Okay. If you go down down further, this thing I I find on there and show I have a um, panel that fits on the top and illuminates it so that 
you can see it in a, even in a dark room. Otherwise, oh, okay. you, you need you have one of these too. Then, Ron, mine's a, a little bit different, but exact uh, idea. It's a mirror. It's it's down further on the same story. Oh, just on the comments, you mean? Mm-hmm. That's mine. Mm-hmm. It's a Casio, and it has a. Uh, Get to see it better. It actually searches channel, and it would search for one when channels. Now that there isn't any, so it just searches. Well, unless you rig up an antenna like David did, then you could. <laughs> this one does have an antenna jack on the side, so you could uh, bring an antenna in. Okay, so this must be a slightly bigger model than the realistic one I'm taking it. Yeah, it's nearly the same size. It's just okay. arranged a little differently. I thought that was cool because it kind of tied in like realistic as a Radio Shack brand and, mm-hmm. you know, hooking up to right. the Coco wirelessly. Was- I have uh, hooked my Coco to it and, and it does work. It's really hard to read the lettering. <laughs> <laughs> it really Yeah, I imagine probably be better for like games or something as a quick. Yeah. It, it actually displays the screen in reverse. And and you see the um you have to have the mirror to, to see it you know if you broke it off and looked at it it would be backwards. Oh okay yeah you're right yeah because the mirror would reverse it so it'd have to be reversed right. to begin with. Interesting I, I I remember seeing these in the in the Radio Jack stores but I never played with one so I wasn't aware of what the display was like or what limitations of plugging stuff into it was so. Cool. Next up, and I don't know if he's still in the chat or not, but Canadian Retro Things did a uh, video. He just got his Coco SDC, and it's the first one of the, like modern peripherals he's added to his Coco. Really, he's the one who's I like you know, his done, channel. We've done other you know uh, videos that he's done with hooking up tape drives and stuff. So he does a, a kind of a preview review of the Coco SDC. Now, at the point of the video here, he hadn't gotten SDC Explorer yet, so he's doing it through the manual commands. Um, but he seems to be greatly enjoying it. He's kind of, you know, buying into that. You know, it's 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 okay to have a couple of modern things on there because it just makes things so much easier to work with. I mean, the Coco SDC in particular, I mean, it works with a Dragon if you have it. And it works with all the Cocos, one, two, or three, it doesn't matter. Uh, it um, emulates both a hard drive and a floppy to drive simultaneously if, if your operating system supports that. So it's it's just a very versatile. And, of course, you know, it's so much easier to just drag a little SD card with your entire library on it than, you know, taking 10 boxes of 50 discs like we had to do in the old days. So, so definitely check the out that video. video. And Go ahead. I was just going to say, the ultimate sneakerware is the Coco STC. Yep, yep. It'll and actually, you can do wireless on it now, too, with those wireless SD cards, so you can even copy stuff to it and leaving it in your Coco. Oh, and Canadian Retro Things is in there. So, hi. We're going to have to get you on here fairly soon here. And get you, actually get you on the show as a guest panelist. Be awesome. Okay, next up, Ed Snyder, um, the cyborg. Um, he's actually this is a kind of a crossover between the two main hardware or two of the you know main hardware guys. There's also Cloud Nine, of course, but uh, this is a half made cocoa board that Jim Brain sells from his store, and uh, you can buy it in two ma- ways. You can buy a pre-populated board, and you have your choice. You can do five, twelve K or you can use slightly larger chips and get one meg on it. Then you have to buy the extra DAT board, of course. Um, Ed, of course, being the hardware guy, he ordered the raw board and you know, populated it himself, but he actually plugged everything in and, and got it to work. So he's quite happy 
with the uh, the results. And he did a memory test. You can kind of see on the bottom one here. So everything passed. So he pointed out it was pretty cool to have a nice small square um, RAM upgrade. And here's the actual order form. So the actual raw board, uh, you know, minus the chips that you have, is only $3, which is pretty darn cheap. And it works, as I, as I mentioned before, both as a 512K or as a 1 meg, your, your choice. You'll have to have the DAT board, obviously. So for you tinkers out there that maybe are a little bit broke from, you know, being on, you know, laid off or whatever from COVID, this might be a way to get your RAM upgrade pretty cheap if you're, if you're willing to do the soldering. It would cost more to ship probably, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if you order the chips with it, it wouldn't be too bad, I guess. But yeah, if you just yeah. order the board. I wish I could get that board made for $3. It would cost me more than that. Yeah, I think because he gets bulk done, uh, you know, and he probably, I don't know know if he does this or not, but he might even be able to design a a layout that actually has multiple boards of different things on one thing that they just get cut afterwards. I don't know if that's what he does, but. And some more hardware. Uh, Boys in Tech, which is Richard Lubieski. I think he's still on the call, is he? Or not? No. Okay. So he's working on, and we kind of briefly mentioned it before uh, last week, I believe, that uh, he's working on a, a satellite board that will plug into the sound speech pack, which will separate the clock signal, which currently is driven off the Coco's clock. So as soon as you kick double speed in on a Coco 3, or if you have a Gimme X and you kick it into triple speed, it no longer functions properly. So he's doing a board here that will actually have its own clock signaling built onto the board that stays consistent, which means then you can plug this into a Cocoa 1, 2, or 3, run it at any speed you want between 0.895 to 2.86 megahertz, and it'll just run fine. I mean, we've been, some people have done the hacks in, in Nitrous 9, for example, because there's a sound speech pack driver for the sound speech card, 409. But if you wanted to actually run some of the sound functions and the speech functions, you'd have to clock the machine back down to half speed do whatever you had to do with the card, wait till to finish, and then kick it back up, which if you're trying to write a high-speed game, that makes it kind of sucky. So he's planning on making this available as uh, one that you can buy and then install yourself. There's no trace cuts or anything required, like some previous hacks that have fixed the same problem have done before. It does require a little bit of soldering and desoldering. Or he'll uh, you know, install it if you send your sound speech pack to him or if you bring it to the fest the next time we actually get to have one in person. So I'm definitely going to be getting this upgrade because then I can do some drivers and stuff that have been kind of sitting there because I, they're kind of pointless at 0.895 megahertz when you're trying to do a Coco 3 game. And especially with the Gimme X coming out now, well, then you've got the option of doing a 3 megahertz game. So I definitely want to play around with it a bit. So definitely looking forward to this. And as Mikey mentioned before, VCF West, which had to go virtual this year, just like we did with Coco Fest. Um, is running all day today with uh, live streaming off their YouTube channel. Link is at the top of the post that Rob will be putting in the chat. And one that was of, of interest, I and mean, there's nothing Coco specific here, um, but the one with Bill Mensch uh, mentioning the genesis of the 6502. And as we mentioned at the top of the show, he was one of the people that worked at Motorola in the 6800, the predecessor to the chips that we use in all the Coco computers, including the MC10. And then he's one of the people that jumped ship to Moss to do the 6502, which is a much cheaper because the 6800 series was quite a bit more expensive than 6502, which is why a lot of the home computers use 6502 or their derivatives instead because the chips were literally like one quarter of the cost. So that'll be an interesting one. And that's on at uh, 3.45 p.m. Pacific, so 6.45 p.m. Eastern. 
Next up, uh, Thomas Winkler uh, is happy with his uh, RE-FD502 kit, which is a remake of the classic short disc controller, the 502. As you know, Tandy did a bunch of the longer ones, the original ones, plus the FD500, FD501. I mean, there's not too much different besides the size of the board. They're basically compatible with each other. But he ordered the kit version of it where you basically get all the chips and everything else, and you kind of make it on your own. And he was quite happy with it. Seems to be working fine. They also sell a pre-made version of it as well that's actually pre-assembled and ready to go. Um, so anybody wants to hook up some real floppy drives, and these will all handle double-density drives anywhere from 35-track single-sided to 80-track double-sided. They'll handle 5 and a quarter and 3 and a half, so double-density just fine too. So if you want to get some real floppies or if you have real floppy disks but no drive or working drive controller, this is a place you can actually get it to work properly and uh, get your hardware right back up and running again. So does this do more than the 502 did? No, it's a basically a replacement for the 502. If, like Those are getting harder to find. Okay. So if, 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 if you blew one up or it cracked or whatever, or you just never had one, this is the way you can get it. Then you can just get you know some of the drives and hook them up and you know, actually get real disks running. The kit version of it, which has all the parts required to make it, you just have to do all the soldering, is $45 US. And if you want to get pre-assembled and ready to go, it's 65 I don't believe that includes a case, though. So if you want a case, you'll have to go elsewhere. I'm kind of curious about the, the fact that it also works with the Dragon, because I thought there was something special about the Dragon controller. Yeah, that I don't know if that would work. Um, this to do with the ROM. I thought some of the hardware addressing is a bit different, too, wasn't it? I can't remember for sure. Yeah. It says here that he's searching for a dragon, so I'm assuming he wants to be able to test it. So, Yeah. It's interesting. This board even includes the little uh, filters or whatever on each line out of the controller that the 502 added, at least on the board. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, because there's the parts you get with it. The little L whatever through L1 through the 502 added those. So this is very much like the original board. Yeah. And it's called the re FD 502, I think, cause it's meant to be pretty well an exact clone. Thing. <laughs> but it, it doesn't have gold contacts. Yeah. That's a little bit disappointing these days, actually. <laughs> Mind you, did the 502 have gold or is it the 501? I know one of them, didn't one didn't, but I can't remember which one was which. They got cheaper as they got older, so I would guess this is probably accurate. <laughs> um. Yeah, the tin. Hey, for those of you who need the the replacement disc controllers, it's a good place to get them. And if you're uh, whoops, five hundred one soldering was... type guy, then you can get it for twenty bucks cheaper. Sorry, what was that Brian? I say here's your here's your five hundred one. Yeah. With the gold, and then the 502 went back to silver. Yeah, okay. So, okay. Yep. They, they can't see, but thanks for explaining that. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, Terry Steggy. Um, unfortunately, he didn't wasn't able to make it either. Um, so basically, he's showing off his spreadsheet here with the uh, a list of the complete list of all cartridges done for the Coco. Uh, this includes the TDP ones, uh, different derivatives of them type of thing. And he updated with some other ones, even third-party ones like the Antico ones, the uh, Star Blazer from Microworks, etc. So he actually put an updated uh, version here with some new discoveries of, of Coco cartridges that have been out. I won't list the whole thing here, but if you're a Coco cartridge collector and you want to see if you have them all, this is the place to go. And if you have one that he does not have, please contact him and let him know. He's trying to amalgamate this for the community to have a complete master list. 
Yeah, this is really cool. I've, I've wanted to do something similar, so I'm probably going to build off of what he has or, you know, what, if there's something I find, cause I've wanted to do the same thing. Cause one of the things that he commented, I think he had a picture that he had posted last week as well. As he was going through this list, um, he came across a pair of cartridges and we've talked about this before where there was like the Tandy branded versus the Radio Shack branded, uh, cartridges. Yeah, Dungeons and Yep. yep. So they came out with different flavors or not different flavors, but just a different label of the same one where, and uh, I think he's tried to include that in the list as well. Anything yeah, the different found. derivatives of each one. And even yeah. a couple that had the different ROM versions like Downline, for example, as a 1.0 and a 1.1, depending right. on how late yep. in the cycle it was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is really cool. It's a lot of work. Yeah, agreed. Uh, next up, I think it was just yesterday or maybe the day before that the Coca Crew dropped episode 62. Which, you know, in addition to the normal news and stuff there, they had their uh, tech segment, which uh, returned for the first time, and I think in probably a few months here before the tech segment. So it discusses using uh, pseudorandom numbers with LFSRs, and I'm trying to remember what the heck that stood for. Uh, I can't remember. But anyways, a way to generate in a semi-language, you know, some pseudorandom numbers. The interview they did uh, with Fran Purcell was the guy that helped run Computer Plus. Now, if you guys remember Rainbow Magazine pretty well, almost the entire run, um, if you opened up the front cover, the, uh, for one of the first ads on the inside page is not on the cover itself was for computer plus, And they sold the entire Tandy line of computers, including the cocoa. They sold their printers. They sold software. They sold third party hardware, third party software, usually at cheaper prices than radio shack did. And this is the guy that helped start that company and then ran it for the 10 years. Like they basically shut down in 93, the same year rainbow did. So they've lasted pretty well the entire thing. And it's a pretty pretty cool interview. I actually uh, there's a lot of things I didn't know about there. I mentioned a few of them at the top of the show, like you know how much they they sold out. You know, 300 Coco threes, the first Coco Fest of the Coco three was announced. But he goes into a lot of other things, like how did they solicit or get solicited by third parties to sell stuff. Um, he also mentioned, uh, interestingly enough, because they told sold Tandy one thousands, Model ones, Model threes, and he said for the entire run of the company, which is basically from 1980 through two or 1993. Cocoa and cocoa related stuff was over half of their sales for that entire run. So by far the cocoa was the best selling computer and set of peripherals they had out of that. And that's including Tandy 1000s and stuff too. So that, that was pretty impressive. So definitely worth it even just for that interview. Go ahead. Yeah, it it is a good interview there. He kind of talks about some of the relationships that he had to kind of navigate with Radio Shack and and uh, it's, yeah. it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Some of the I don't want to say games that they had to play, but uh, it was interesting how they kind of had to work the system a little bit in order to uh, to be able to do what they did. And what I thought was interesting is it all started out with just a, a mere five thousand dollar investment into a franchise. Yeah, and and basically built it into a, a a rather large empire as far as selling goes. Yeah. The other thing I found interesting in the interview that I did not know before, uh, like I always assumed if you bulk bought computers from Tandy, you'd get a discount. And no, they didn't. Everybody bought them at the exact same price. And this this firm, Computer Plus, and I think one other one that Boise had mentioned that we also advertise in Rainbow, would sell them at discounts that they just took a hit on basically compared to what everybody else did. So the Radio Shacks would sell them for $199 for a Cocoa 3, for example. And these guys and the other competitor, third-party competitor, would sell them for $169. But nobody got a special deal. If you bought one, if you bought a thousand, it was the same price no matter what, which was surprising to me because I didn't think most businesses would do that. But apparently, Tandy did. Yeah. The other thing I thought was kind of interesting too, and uh, like you said, it is a good interview. It's worth listening to. 
Um, but in order for them to be able to provide warranty, they had to hand write the receipts just like a Radio Shack store. Would. Yeah, that's right. So, so they could bring, so they could actually a person could bring a cocoa that they bought from them into a Radio Shack to get serviced. So it was kind of interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting tidbits there. He goes through the history yeah. of you know before it was computer plus. Like if you looked at the ads, it says that they since 1973. Well, they had a totally different business before then, but they just carried over the moniker from it. So def- definitely worth the interview, or definitely worth a listen. I should say for the interview alone, it's good enough. Mm-hmm. I don't think I ever bought a, a new color computer from Tandy. I always got mine used. But um, what, what kind of a warranty was there? 90 days, wasn't it? I think so. Yep. Parts and labor or just? I believe both. Yeah, 90 days. And I think you could buy extended warranties too if you wanted to shell some cash. <laughs> Uh, next up, Andrew Ayers uploaded a file to um, Facebook that you can download. Actually, he uploaded a couple of things here based on the Armatron. There was some discussion on the Armatron, which is the old robotic arm that you could buy from Tandy. And then you there was certain software and stuff and hardware you could do to hook it up to a Cocoa and control it from your Cocoa. So here he's uploaded the uh, zip file of all the actual software uh, for interfacing with the Armatron. And then he also uploaded uh, scans from the hot Cocoa issues because they had a ROM hacker series where they actually did a series of articles on how to hook this up and then how to program it and control the arm. So any of you, I don't know if anybody here has an Armatron kicking around handy or something, but uh, if you want to experiment with robotics, it was kind of cool that we were doing that way, way back, way before, you know, the robot fighting wars and stuff started on TV. So yeah, that, you can get some that, arm wrestling. <laughs> that is a good article though um, in the hot cocoa because uh, I actually used that as part of my college uh, final project I had to do when I was going to school um, for electronics. And uh, it's a nice, it's a nice interface uh, that they use in there. And I, like I said, I use that for part of it, but they, they build this really nice interface that then you modify a, uh, an Armatron where you take out all the gears and everything and you basically hook up motors directly to it. It's really, it's really kind of cool. If you're, if you like to tinker around with that type of stuff, it's worth, worth definitely looking at, but it's cool. Cool. Ron, did you ever get into the Armatron stuff or? Nope, never did. Okay. I just figured you might have it actually controlling one of your telescopes or something to adjust for the rotation (laughs) of the earth. (laughs) That'd be cool. (laughs) No. The way they have it setting on that ad where it's pushing down on the key is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I do remember one of the guys here, Richard Smith had one and he did actually do the hard cocoa articles and he actually did have it controlled by his cocoa too. And it was, it was pretty cool to watch it. You know, you know, type in certain sequence of commands or programmers to do like six moves in a row and, you know, it goes up and down and left, right, picks up something off the desk, moves and drops it over here type thing. It was pretty, pretty interesting, especially for the time, like the mid eighties. Yeah. <laughs> Next up, uh, Paul Shoemaker, whom we saw the uh, poker squares from earlier, also found another rare Cocoa related book that I hadn't seen before. It's called TRS-80 Extended Color Basic <clears throat> by Richard Haskell. And he said, there's not too much new in the book. It basically covers the same thing as color basic manuals. And we know that those are some of the best manuals ever made. But uh, it was by Prentice Hall, which is another major publisher at the time. And uh, he actually picked it up from the library here. So it has a discard. So they're getting rid of it because it's, I guess, there's not too many cocoa owners going to libraries these days. But That's uh, Eddie Haskell's brother. <laughs> <laughs> this one does cover graphics and stuff. So, I mean, it, it does cover that. It even does some poke and peek stuff at the end there. Here you can see the library part of it hadn't been signed out since 
1987, so it's been sitting there a while. Unfortunately, <laughs> this scans upside down, but it actually has photographs and stuff in there too. That was a bit more more unique for this book. Uh, I mean, all the standard color basic learning basic manuals might have some illustrations of things, but not too many took screenshots and actually did, you know, actual photos of the cocoa itself. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I had asked him if he could send a picture of the cover, um, but he said it was a hardcover book with just the just a plain cover. There's no, you know, yeah, graphics, that's why you, you know, took like the a, inside. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <coughs> hey, next up, <clears throat> James Jones, and I think he was in chat earlier too. Now he's planning on doing a tutorial type book on basic nine, basically teaching you if you know disk space and this uh, you know, harkens back to what Nick Morota was asking about earlier <clears throat> about learning basic nine versus regular basic. And he's actually planning on doing a tutorial on this either in book form or now he mentioned the chat earlier today that maybe doing a video series kind of like Stevie's done with the actual original color basic manuals of, of showing you how, if you're, if you're used to extended color basic, how do you transition yourself to doing basic nine? And then getting into what you can do in basic nine, you can't do in color basic and extended basic. So I think that's a really good idea. It's something I actually I was planning on doing at some point in time too. But if he wants to take it over, up by all means, please. I got enough on my plate. But if he does end up doing a video, I might see if I can work with him and maybe you know hop on the videos at times and see if I can help him out in any way I can. You know, either running some live demos or or maybe trying to simplify. Because James is a very technically oriented programmer. He's much smarter than I, so hopefully I can, you know, dumb down the intelligent talk to, uh, you know, more mortal levels, so like even I can understand it. But I'm I'm hoping this does go through because I think that's something that is needed. We didn't really have a, and I think we mentioned this in the chat too. The the original color basic and extended color basic manuals, the Coco One versions, are probably some of the best basic manuals ever done on any system. Period, as far as learning goes. The Cocoa 2 ones, when they shrunk it down into one manual, weren't quite as good. They were still very good, better than most. And Baseco 9, like the original level one Baseco 9 manual was very technically oriented. It was like basically just, you know, here's the keyword and, you know, a technical explanation of what it does. If you're just trying to learn basic, it wasn't very good at all. The level two Baseco 9 manuals went in the right direction. They started doing like sample code and, and explaining it a bit more in regular English rather than programming style. But it still was nowhere near as good as those originals. So I think this is something that is needed. Uh, the Basic 9 Tour Guide helped somewhat too, but the Basic 9 Tour Guide stopped at the Cocoa 1. I mean, none of the Cocoa 2 stuff and Level 2 stuff, or sorry, Cocoa 3 and Level 2 stuff is in there. So if you want to learn that stuff, they did start doing the Rainbow Guide to Level 2, but they just basically covered the windowing system and nothing else. So And that series never got complete. That was supposed to be a multi-book uh, series. So hoping this gets done, uh, hoping some of you guys can join us, either you know in, in chat or suggestions for the book if it comes out in book form. Um, there's already been some good suggestions. He's trying to get suggestions for how we should approach it to make it as easy as possible for people. So if you guys have any suggestions, read the comments that are already there, read his original comments, and please send some comments back to him so we can try to get this going in the right direction for the, the most of the people that want to learn this. Next up here, Christopher Zepka. That's not a name I've heard before. Um, shows the results of his very first retrobiting project he's ever done on anything, and it happened to be a Coco 2. And it actually looks like it turned out pretty successfully. So he shows some before and after pictures here. I know some people are not big fans of retrobiting. You can hear it say it's quite yellowed on the bottom. Though otherwise, the case is in pretty good shape. 
Keyboards are nice. There's a serial number for all your serial, serial number fanatics out there. Hmm. So he took the uh, motherboard out, got everything all set up, and that's what it turned out. It actually was quite quite white. Now, Ron, you've done this before too, haven't you? Yes. Has yours stayed white? Like I know I've heard rumors that sometimes it starts yellowing again pretty quickly. Or is that true? Or? Well, I, I have a Coco 2 that I did. It was very, very yellow, and it's still pretty white. And I have it in my uh, garage in the in a cabinet, so I don't know if that helps keep it that way. But I drag it out every once in a while, and it still hasn't changed any. And, and the garage is like 109, 110 like it is out today. So I, I don't know if heat affects it or if it's uh, just the direct sunlight the light or what. Yeah, I mean, this I've one looks like a new computer now. Like it worked quite well for him. Everything I've retrobrighted um, has has stayed, but I, I don't have anything. So I don't have anything that's more than maybe you know four months old. I've just started doing the process. So yeah, because um, it'd be interesting to find a long term. Like I said, I've heard rumors from people, and maybe it depends on the type of plastic or something. I don't know. But some people say, said you know after two years it goes yellow again. So I, well, I will say my. Uh, um, TDP 100 is looking a little more yellow. It's actually um, gone a little bit more yellow, uh, kind of even with my uh, white multi-pack, which is a little yellow. So I, I think it does uh, depend. I think it depends on the material. Okay. But in this case, it has a little bit. Uh, how long ago did you do TDP? Like how long uh, did it take to start yellowing? It was a bit. Uh, over six months it's been a, almost a year a little over a year that i did that one okay and does it get exposed to direct sunlight in the room it's in like does no. it a window or hits it or something no no it's okay. just on a lot because you know i have it on when i play it and stuff and i make i've been making pictures and things and so it's on so i, I don't know it's evenly yellowed so <laughs> it'd be weird if it was uh like you know, this bad. one, where it's yellowed on the yeah. front and more white on the back. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, you would think that the heat's coming out of the vents, and that the yellow would be more toward where the vent, you know, comes up, where the air comes out, but it isn't. I think it all has to do with exposure to something, UV light okay. or something. Okay, well, cool. Because we had a few people who have done it successfully. I just got to see. I guess we have to figure out how long it lasts. Maybe just have to redo it once every year or two or something. Maybe keep it pristine. The keyboard's real nice, though, on that one. Look at it. Yeah, that was white to begin with, so I don't think you had to retrobite that at all. No. Next up, uh, hopping over to the Dragon Group on Facebook. So we have John Whitworth, who we've mentioned on here before, and he's got a picture here of his uh, testing setup, and he's trying to figure out why the Coco SDC, which has the option to run the Dragon, uh, works with the WordPack 2 Plus board, which we've covered here that Paris Surratt's helped develop uh, some of his AGD stuff for. It's a sprite and sound chip combo board. Now, John's doing a DMSX 2 Plus, which I think is the MSX chips basically built in. And it the STC does not apparently run properly with that. So he's been trying to figure out, you know, what, what's going on here. But there's this test setup, and that's just like, you know, you hardware guys can comment on this. Is this normal to have this much crap on your desk all spread out with wires and stuff? Like, I'm, I'm not a hardware guy. You could wave your hand over that to enter 9999999. Well, the, uh, kind of in the top center there, there's a purple cord that's coming into that little black box right there. Uh-huh. That's um, a, a kind of a form of a digital oscilloscope. 
So I've seen those before. That's like a 16 channel, uh, not really like an oscilloscope, but you can, you can bring in like 16 different channels into your, up onto your computer screen and you can watch everything as it's running simultaneously. So it looks like a lot of wires are in the top center, but it looks like he's probably got them all connected to various points on some of the chips there. But uh, that purple cable is a USB cable that goes probably to a PC and he's able to watch digitally what's going on with all the different signals uh, all at the same time. I just like how many little prototype boards he's got here. He's got the big honking thing that's coming out of the cartridge port and he's got another one layered on the top of it on the bottom. And he's got a couple off to the side and all this mess is all wired together. I I would just be completely lost. (laughs) Well, yeah, I'm I'm kind of concerned that the, the large chip and the separate board on the right goes into a large antenna farm and then on into the computer and you don't really know in that situation if it's your circuit or if it's your prototype that's the problem. And so, man. He's got his SDC folded in on the inside of the computer. Yeah, yeah. Mounted there on the side there. I know that just looks like, this is why I do software, not hardware, because this would just wreck my brain. Because hardware is not digital. Hardware is analog. So you're trying to pretend it's digital, but the pulses get a little fat and maybe there's a little extra noise. And Yeah, I have enough problems debugging my own code, so <laughs> this is just a level way beyond me. Uh, next up is another Dragon story. This is a rather interesting one. Um, when Dragon went under, Dragon, the original Dragon in, in Wales in uh, the UK, they sold to a company called Eurohard in Spain, and then they kind of resurrected for a bit. But they also started getting into some other hardware that has nothing to do with the Dragon 3264 or the 200 or the Alpha or the 100, um, but under the Dragon name. And this is one that made it to the stage of making and manufacturing some, but then they went under when this was about to be released. So this is a Dragon MSX, which is based on the MSX computer. With it, which uh, Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but that's a Z80 and an AY sound chip or something, I think. Where's Nick still on the oh, call? Yep, no, I just had to wake up. Um, <laughs> you and Mikey. Yes, it's a, it's a Z80, a standard uh, early version MSX. Z80 AY sound chip and the TI video chip. So this actually played MSX games and has its own specialized keyboard, which does not resemble the Dragon keyboard at all. It even has a cartridge slot on the top. But you actually see it says Dragon MSX64, so it's an official Dragon product. Now, the story behind this, and there's conflicting stories how many of these were made. One person claims there was 50, and another claimed there was 500. Um, but they basically, they got shipped to Dragon because they were manufactured, ironically enough, by a UK company based in Hong Kong uh, to actually manufacture the boards. They got there, they were put together, and then they went under. And uh, the one story was told that one of the employees had mentioned that when they went under, they couldn't pay the employees for the last couple months of work they did. But these computers had already arrived. So what they did, instead of paying the employees cash, because they had none, they just gave everybody one of these. That was your final paycheck was a Dragon MSX64. And unfortunately, pretty well, none of them survived back to this is the only one known to be working, as far as they know. And the guy who has it is a collector of dragons. He's got Dragon 200s and some of the other very, very rare prototype models as well. Well, that was interesting because I'd never heard that the that Dragon, even when they got bought by Eurohard, had anything to do with anything other than the standard Dragon hardware, but obviously they did. 
The Konami is the name of a game, isn't it? A game company. It's a game company. Yeah. yeah. So, or they did arcade games. They did uh, piece or uh, computer ports and other things too. So does it say what that game is in the machine? Uh, no, but it basically, from my understanding, is if you have any MSX cartridge, it just worked. It was totally 100% compatible with the MSX. Oh. And the MSX, if I remember, Nick, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one too, but I think the main market for that was Japan, wasn't it? Japan was the primary um, market, yeah. Do you know what MSX stands for? Microsoft. Um, Something, yeah. Oh, what was the X for? It was a collaboration between Microsoft and various another company that they basically standardized on a hardware architecture and used Microsoft's basic. That was a standard. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was a pretty good good setup, but yeah, only it was only in Japan, largely. this, This here is kind of a wiki page on it. Now, some of the accuracy of this page is in question like the 500 pieces that were delivered type thing. Uh, the employees that worked there at the time said, no, it was only 50. But basically it tells you like it's a, it came out in 85. It was uh, manufactured by Radifin Electronics, like I said before, a Hong Kong based company that was actually owned by people from the UK. And it came with 64K of RAM, 16K of video RAM, uh, the Texas Instruments TMS 9129NL chip, which I think is a Sprite chip, is it, Nick? Yes. Or is it just a plain yeah. video? Sprite? No, it's, it's Sprite. And then the PSG AY38910 sound chip. So it was a pretty decent machine, but uh, extremely rare for collectors. If you find one, keep that one. It's worth a ton. Next up, uh, we've covered uh, Chibi Akumis. That's what his channel is called. Um, he's, he's covered some other 6809 stuff. His eventual goal is to program a Vectrix game. In assembly language, so he's been kind of learning CPUs. He also has done these courses on teaching of various assembly language uh, sources. He's done Intel, he's done six to eight thousands, he's done Z80, Z80, so he's done you know all kinds of chips because I too. So he's eventually planning on making a Vectrix game on the Vectrix console. So he's kind of covering various six and nine. Now his previous ones on the six and nine have been pretty generic six and nine. Like he was running, I don't know, some text-based console thingy as the emulator before. This is the first one he's done that's uniquely to the Coco and the Dragon, explaining how the VDG and stuff works a little bit, not getting too much into it at this early stage. But uh, when he does these ones on a specific platform, he does uh, his initial ones, usually Hello World, however it's done on that particular machine. So that's what he does here. And one thing he found out while working on this is that the basic on the Dragon and the basic on the Coco actually initialize differently because he sets up his Explorer emulator to emulate his test code as being a cartridge that you plug into the machine and immediately turn on as opposed to being something you would just load off tape or disc. So we found out that the dragon in its initialization phase before the ROMs get run clears the text screen out to, you know, the green black background. Apparently the Coco or yeah, the Coco does not, it actually has some just, you know, random, not totally random, but it's at signs and orange blocks. And then the hell world comes on top of that instead of top of green screen. So the two machines actually initialize differently, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, he's, he's planning on making this a complete series. He's going to get in how to do reading joysticks, how to read the keyboard, how to you know do sound, how to do graphics and everything else too. So it's going to be a pretty pretty decent series. Another alternative to Steve Bjorks and some... Uh, who did the other one? Paul Fiscarelli, I think, was doing the other 689 Cocoa Assembly Language. So for those of you who want to learn it, here's a third alternative coming. This is another interesting one here too that I kind of found by surprise. Uh, the name of his... Uh, channel is kind of interesting it's called redot enthused 
on retro, basically. But it's a kind of a history of the dragon, a kind of a Coles Notes version of it. Uh, kind of going through this, you know, the initial you know, Wales-based company, then shifting over to Eurohard and stuff. So we kind of go through the Dragon 32, the 64, the Tano a little bit. Uh, basically, just a bit of the history. And then he actually goes on to taking it apart and showing you some of the hardware and showing you what's in the case, etc. And then he actually does a couple of, or a couple or one single, I can't remember, but game demo, kind of showing what the capabilities of the machine are. And he, I guess he was doing a, the- a series on computer companies based in Wales was just getting pretty specific. So he pre- previously covered the Sam Coop, which I'm not sure if any of you have ever heard of before. I know the Amigos have covered it on their uh, ARG show, but um, so this, this week, the guy was doing the dragon. So pretty cool. If you want a nice, you know, quick history of it, I think Nick Marota, you'd mentioned before that you'd caught one dragon history thing here, not too, too long ago yourself here. So here's an additional one with some gameplay and stuff added on. Yes, I did. And this one here is a channel I've covered before. Now, these are two brothers, and there's a big age difference between the two of them. One of them is born in the 90s, and one used to work at Radio Shack back in the 90s. Um, wow. So they've, they've kind of, as a kind of a fun thing here, they took a 1990 Radio Shack catalog, and they just had to pick things they thought were cool from each. So the older one was picking, like, you know, obscure antenna things and all these other things. And the younger one, actually, one of his picks was the Kobo 3. And, um, you know, the, his older brother then starts commenting on, you know, selling them in 1990, which, of course, it was during the Coco's decline. So he didn't know too much about the Coco, but it's a pretty interesting show in general. But the Coco discussion is also pretty interesting, too. I won't play it here because the show's an hour long, but uh, definitely worth your time to check it out, especially if you're a Radio Shack fan. I like the truck. Yeah. What's that? I like the truck. Yeah, they've showed that <laughs> in the last couple of shows. And the final one here is actually the one that uh, Brian was talking about where Terry found the two different versions of the Daggerath cartridge label and the manual here. One saying Tandy, one saying uh, Radio Shack. There's a bit of a zoom up here, but you can see how it changed as the uh, new time progressed. And uh, that's it for the news. Excellent. Thank you, Chris Boyle. Um, so why don't we do this? Uh, why don't we take a commercial break? Uh, we'll come back. I will play the Coco Caboose video just because I feel like playing it. Originally, I thought we would talk about VCF West uh, being today, virtual VCF West, but we already kind of covered that in the news. So we'll just play the Caboose. We'll do some close, closing thoughts and, uh, and then the outro if everyone's okay with that. So we'll be right back after these words. We'll return after these announcements. A whole new approach. Faster than ever. A window to a world of possibilities. Clear your expectations. Clear your hesitation. Just hit 
clear. Download EOU today at lcurtisboyle.com. We'll do that. Hi, everybody. No. This is Siri, Apple's right personal assistant and beatbox professional. You're watching Coco Talk with the original oh, gamer, sorry. Stevie Stroh. I just feel like playing the video, yeah. What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh. And I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Coco Talk. We love doing this show. We think we put together a pretty good show for you. But this show could be better. This show could be better, though. our help. So if you would like to send a (laughs) feedback, a comment, a suggestion, a show topic, or maybe even your own little segment or bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love send your death plan. threats to Steve Strobridge. This is Ken Reichard, author of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. And you're experiencing Coco Talk? As you start your journey to Coco Fest, you notice the road ahead is littered with rogue furniture. You realize you are driving on the Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. The game for the Tandy Color Computer 1, 2, and 3. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Stunning low-resolution visuals. Digital to analog converted sound. 100% machine language and basic. What are they saying about Nightmare Highway? Nightmare Highway. Steve B. York says, of all the games released this year, this is one of them. Elkert S. Boyle says, this will not be on my site. Nick Marionette says, crikey, look at the size of that croc. Get your complimentary copy of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. At cancanmakeit.com. If you got it for free, you paid too much. Hey there, it's Andrew here with the Tandy Speech and Sound Cartridge that I won from Coco Talk Live. So uh, next time, make sure to tune in. It may change your life. Let the Radio Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. And there's more. The color computer is an educational aid, a home management tool, an up-to-the-minute electronic information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 color computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers. We now return you to Talk. The Coco Talk train wreck is over. And we welcome you to the last surviving car. Join us in Zoom for Coco Talk Caboose, a recap of today's show. Coco Talk Caboose starts now. It's on the screen. Welcome, Welcome back, back everybody. everybody. We have a special guest for you right now. We have a, so we're, we actually are going to have sort of a wrap-up show. Uh, welcome back to Coco Talk. We've got some 
acquisitions to cover, and uh, and then we'll do some clo- closing thoughts after that. So with that, I, I believe Steve, the original gamer, is on the panel. Steve, would you like to, uh, now that I just uh, remember to share system sound, I can stop doing that and turn... Oh my God, am I on? Am I on? Thank you're you. live. Yeah, you're here. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I'm a big fan of the show. I've been watching the show for years. I can't believe I'm on, guys. Thanks for having me. This is amazing. <laughs> Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite? <laughs> oh, it's that dreamy, that dreamy Nick Arada. <laughs> Aren't you a big MC10 guy? Oh, huge, <laughs> huge MC10 fan. Big fan of MC10. OS9. No. Yeah. OS9. Oh, yeah. Happy birthday. Hey, Ron, you have Ron, basically Ron, nine. Hit the button, please. Hit the button. <laughs> now, Stevie. Vergas. Did, did you just get off your shift at the uh, welding factory? I did. Well, well, today my acquisition is I got the Mark Overholzer, uh, you know, uh, goggle set here. <laughs> so I, I, the show looks twice as nice now, guys. Look at the guy from Chair Park Boys. <laughs> I think I'm going to vomit now. Oh, that's oh, that wow. David Ladd guy. He's my hero. I love the floppy. Hi, David. Big fan. Love your work. <laughs> oh, God. I'm out of here. Oh, jeez. Oh, What's my goodness. <laughs> I think we need to change the password. <laughs> 6309 would work. Oh, wow. Um, so I'd like to uh, apologize to uh, Mr. Gimes for my comments. These are our worst things around, evidently. Uh, no, yeah, but um, I did. That I was did a little harsh there. I did enjoy um, his all his stuff he did in the beginning before he started singing. I must say, <laughs> <laughs> he was saying like ACDC. He there, was, or, uh, or uh, not? No, not ACDC. Whoever that band was. The yes, DC band. One grabs one belt buckle and pulls sharply upwards. Exactly. He was. Hey doing, guys, what did I miss? What did I miss? Oh, wait, sorry. Go back to sleep, Mikey. Yes. <laughs> Stevie, we know where your uh, attention lies. Big Steve. fan of David Ladd and the MC10. What else have you gotten, Steve? So, is there any other, any other acquisitions? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I think I mentioned these. I don't know if I showed them, but a while ago, I got a bag of, uh, well, that's not a bag of D's, but I did get a bag of, um, of a brand new floppies. These are a bag of discs. Colored ones. It's a bag of D's. A bag of discs. Yeah. Can you send so a disc pick? A bag pick? of D's or a bag of D's? Yeah. So this can you send is me a, a disc pick? I can send you a disc pick. I actually oh. will. <laughs> Only one color? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This was, mm. uh, yeah, but it's all new stocks. So it was like 50 brand new floppies, and I think it was like 30 bucks. I talked the guy down on, on eBay. So I got that uh, maybe a week or so ago. Gonna try them out. Does the guy still have more? Yeah, in different colors, like lots of different colors. So if you do a search for just floppies on eBay, he's got uh, all new stock in, in multiple colors. Oh, cool. And those, those, are double, those are double density? I think so. I don't think it's two-sided. Uh, I think it's basically like a Coco One, you know, uh, Tandy 1000 type floppy. Okay, I, just, I, was, I wasn't uh, sure if it was high density or double. No, it's got the ring, so it's a uh, double density. Well, you would know, David. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when David wants to know how old a floppy disk is, he counts the ring. Yeah, it's like a tree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the show looks much better with my new Mark Overholzer goggles on now, too. Your, your prescription so has changed a bit on yeah. your glasses there, Stevie. 
Mm. Stevie, you need uh, my beard on there, too, and that, <laughs> that, that, that yellow hat you wear. There we go. The full-on zombie. you all set. Yeah. <laughs> and you just yes. need a face mask that says Coco Talk on it. Yeah. And by the way, big fan of the show, guys. Thanks for having me on. I got to go. I got to go play with my MC-10. Bye-bye now. <laughs> all right I, I feel like we just got zoom bombed by uh, yeah i think so so we're all yeah, agreed we not to let him back in right <laughs> yeah someone needs to change that password please yes i changed it to uh, uh <laughs> another processor name it's the same combination i have on my luggage <laughs> yes, zero 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 zero. Wow, that's a cool CPU. <laughs> so, well, any other acquisitions or anything? Yeah, yeah actually, actually, I have a couple. Go ahead, Grant. Um, I was looking for this book and I found it finally. It is the uh, Tandy's Money Machine. It's a book by uh, Charles Tandy. This used oh, to be wow. sold. This used to be sold in Radio Shack uh, back in the days, I think in the uh, early 90s. So, uh, got that one. And also, I've been looking for this too. This is the 1983 Rainbow Magazine. Anniversary issue with the disc in it. The yes, and record. it still has... Oh, wow, cool. The, radio, uh, the, uh, the old uh, flimsy uh, record. record. Yeah, thank you. What is on there? Three programs. Yeah, three programs. Oh, that's three. Hilarious. Three in specific. There was three programs on that disc. You could just pipe it through your stereo into your Coco and load them with C load. And then also, not to waste uh, everybody's time, but I did get a whole bunch of other rainbows too. I'm trying to start my collection. So if anybody has extra rainbows that they want to get rid of, I'll be more happy to pay shipping, fair price. Just let me know. Cool. That's if you told I me that about to... seven years ago, I would have had a lot for you. <laughs> needs to rain first. <laughs> Hey Grant, was that the was that the rainbows that I had mentioned, or is this is that a different lot? Uh, this is one of the rainbows that you mentioned. Also found a, another set to this coming in the mail too from uh, eBay. Nice, thank, thank very you good. very much. Appreciate it. Yeah, and luckily they're in good shape too. I'm surprised. So someone whoever had these took really good care of them. Well, they got the record still in there. I don't even have the record anymore. I don't know what happened to it, but I remember I did actually load the programs off the off the well, record. How'd that work anyway? So did you put your your uh, tape deck in front of the speakers on the record player or how that work no actually in my case i had a headphone jack on the stereo we had which is like one of those old wood grain 70s ones so i just put the uh the floppy record onto the record player you had to put a coin on it to get it to stay level so it wouldn't flip up and down on yeah <laughs> and then we you, we took the headphone jack and i just plugged in i think i had a quarter inch to eighth inch adapter to it so you plugged it into the black jack on the cassette cable plugged it in the headphone jack on the stereo Type C load and then start the record and then we just load. Oh, cool. Yep. What, what month is that of '83? July of '83. Uh, July of 1983. Second anniversary issue. Hey Grant, we have an important question from the chat. Um, sure. An OG Stevie Stro says, "Does Grant know how to read, or does he just look at the pictures?" I just look at the pictures. <laughs> you know what? I uh, I was a uh, I never even realized that I'm kind of tickled pink. I've had I, I got uh, I got the magazine as well, and mine has that has the record in it also. All right. <laughs> so I've cool. been sitting on this and didn't even realize it. So <laughs> awesome. Nice find. Does, any, does anybody know if that record, the content of that record, is online somewhere? 
Yeah, it was actually on the regular Rainbow on Disc and Rainbow on Tape, too. That was just a freebie for everybody who bought the magazine if they didn't subscribe to the tape. Or oh, like a sample. Disc Come on, like you guys. It's, it's on PDF. Cool. What are you worried about? <laughs> How do you put a tape a tape program on a PDF? <laughs> it's there. Come on. Very carefully. Right. You have to OCR it in. That's, that's how you do it. Did you swip, swap cars with Grant? <laughs> yeah, no, Braille no. I had a Mad Magazine that had one of those records in it. Yeah, the uh, the beautiful, fantastic day. Super where spectacular was with alternate day. Endings. Yeah, yes. that was awesome. There's another one that's called It's a Gas, and it's just a bunch of belching. Is this one you played it? They played the same beginning every time you put the needle down, but we pick a random of about six different endings depending on how the needle. Well, there are eight. There are eight spirals on it. Yeah, so basically you get alternate endings every time you played the song. So yeah. Thankfully, they didn't do that. The Coco program where you load the first half of the program properly and then you get a random chunk of code afterwards. That would have been bad. Mm -hmm. I do have uh, one. More thing to show uh, from the stuff that I already had lined up that we uh, showed during the show. Sure. Um, this one here is one that um, that Curtis had mentioned last week in the uh, in the news segments there, and uh, or actually I think it was two weeks ago. Um, and so I reached out to the guy, and all the way from the UK, I got the uh, that uh, oh cool Alka cool. One uh, joystick that he had mentioned on the. Uh, on there he originally wasn't shipping to the u.s i reached out to him and i just said hey uh what would it cost or you know could i pay a little extra to get one and he's like well let me find out and so other than paying the extra shipping um he uh uh he sent it to me and uh yeah these things are brand new they're kind of cool looking was it under a thousand was that <laughs> was it under <laughs> yeah. a thousand Yes, actually, actually, it was. I think it was only like twenty-five dollars once the once the conversion was done. Um, it's a nice joystick. Uh, it's not. Um, oh, how I want to say this? It's not uh, linear Thanks in the lighting. sense. Not analog. That, yeah, it's not analog. Where uh, you know, if you were to plug it into like one of one of the um, joystick programs, where the value would go from like zero to sixty-three. Um, this basically has switches in it, so when you move it. You know, you move it to the left, it goes to zero. When it's in the center, it gives a 33 value. When you move it to the right, it gives you a huh. 63. So it wouldn't be good for all games. Nothing you know, in between? A, nothing in between other than oh. it's zero, three, or, or zero, 33, 32. or 63. 32, yeah, whatever the middle value was, yeah. Yep, so I mean, for games where you just got to go left, right, or whatever, you know. Um, so yeah, little suction cups on the bottom. <laughs> Now, are both buttons active at once? You can use either one as your fire button, or do you have to flick a switch yes. to go between them? No, nope, you can press either one. Yep. But it's just a... I love that. Just a I'm sorry? I was going to say, I love that about English joysticks. You can have eight fire buttons on them, but they're all the same fire button. They're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and yeah. it just has the... It doesn't have the center pin, so yeah. Yeah. Dragon only like, has a fi the five-pin connector. doesn't have the yeah. center one, so only one button. So yeah, it, uh, it got here pretty uh, fairly. It took about a week to get here. Just out of curiosity, how much was the shipping? Shipping it from overseas? Um, I think it was about. Uh, I think it. I think my my total cost was like about forty three dollars, with the shipping and everything. So I thought that was fairly reasonable, considering some of the deluxe joysticks go for thirty six dollars alone. 
here. Yeah. So, yep. So I think I think it was I paid under fifty bucks to get it. Uh, that's for you. Uh, and the you shipping. have to pay VAT. Uh, what's that? Value added tax. tax. Oh, um, I don't know if it was if in you, there or not. If you did, you should try to get a refund for it. Okay. I don't know. I have no idea how you do that, but yeah. Uh, probably more. Is it probably worth uh, worth less than my time to cut it down? Or? <laughs> probably. I think that's an in Europe thing, and you don't get hit it if you don't buy it from inside Europe. You could play Timberman with that. There you go. Yes, you could. Actually, quite a few games you can play with that. A lot of the standard Pac-Mans and Donkey King stuff. They didn't use the analog ranges either, so they would work fine. Yeah. I tried playing with a couple of the different games. Um, uh, I can't remember which ones I was playing. I think I tried uh, uh, Nick's game with it, where the, you know you're just registering a, a left, right, or whatever. So yeah, cool. That's all. Anybody else have any uh, things? I've got a couple of old things, not new things, but I'll save mine to last. Oh, mine mine would be really quick. Go ahead, Mikey. I am. Uh, trying to get some time to work on uh, the next minor revision of DriveWire. Um, I got all the features finished for uh, Deload, and I have one more feature I'm planning to put in, and then I have to actually write the documentation for Deload, and I think that's going to be the next uh, minor revision. So uh, I don't don't know if I'm going to make it this week or not. I'm going to be really busy with work this week, but uh, I'll keep plugging away on it. Cool. So cool. that's pretty much it. Hey, buddy, are you ready for DriveWire? Yeah? Good. Wait, wait, you're writing documentation? Yeah. You can ask some of the guys on here. Some of the time they ask me, how do you do this or that with uh, PyDriveWire? My answer is, answer is basically, uh, I wrote that in the manual. How about if you try letting me know if, if you can get it working? And usually they go, yep, I read the manual and figured it out. I'm just saying it's unusual to actually provide the documentation for the new software. It's, you should make people. PyDriveWare has so many features in it that if I didn't write the manual, I wouldn't remember how to operate some of the things. Hmm. <laughs> cool. Looking forward to that. And I have to give you props up for the documentation, too, because I, I know from trying to write Nitrous 9 documentation, and documentation is one of the things I hate doing the most. So having somebody who's actually enthusiastic and gets it done right off the bat there, that's that's props to you. Thank you. Since we're still in acquisitions, I can say uh, uh, I got a whole bunch of uh, Laserdisc stuff from Eric Canale gave me a, a heads up on... A, guy that was getting rid of his collection and so i got um a laser disc player for a hundred bucks and 600 laser discs with it we went and picked it up last well when the show was on that's why i wasn't here and uh did you say 600 as in six zero zero 600 seven wow. boxes <laughs> full. Oh so that's a stack about four feet tall or something yeah this uh, a box is uh 18 by 18 by 24 inch, uh, 24 inches i think and there was seven of them how's your back <laughs> we we had a truck a little uh you know truck it, there everything's in there 
I mean, we, we also got a catalog, and they're all in alphabetical order. Wow. And I've been pulling a bunch of them out and watching stuff. All, all the Star Trek movies, um, Wizard of Oz, um, Mad, 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 Mad World, um, all kinds of really good movies. If you're not a James Bond fan, uh, oh. look, uh, let me know. All the James Bond movies are there. <laughs> oh, every one of them. One of them. Oh, I'll, buy every, I'll buy every single one of them from you. So, would you, you really? <laughs> yes, I would. Give us a report on which James Bond is better. Yeah, we're, we're thinking about selling a bunch of it because, you know, really it takes up a lot of space. Um, and, you know, a good portion of the movies I don't think we'll ever watch. But, you know... It's really interesting. There were there was some demos, laser disc demos, which were really cool to watch. Um, it had, uh, you know, how it works and and um, how sharp it is. You know, it's like trying to show the best of the world of laser disc. You know, which is interesting to watch. Anyway, it has nothing to do with Coco. Sorry, <laughs> except for the fact I wasn't here. No it's still a cool acquisition, though. That's, that's yeah. a pretty rare find of that many yeah. intact working discs. Yeah, and the player works great. So, Thanks, Eric. <laughs> and happy birthday to Eric, like we mentioned before. His birthday is yeah. the same as the Coco's. Yep. Anybody else have any acquisitions or updates they want to mention? All right. Any other uh, last words? Um, I've got one or two things I do wanted to show off quickly. They're not new updates. They're just things I kind of found or drug out of the closet type thing. So the first off is I, in honor of the anniversary of the Coco, I actually wore the uh, Rainbow Fest shirt for the very first Rainbow Fest I ever went to in 1986 in Chicago. And it, it barely fit, as I mentioned. I'm probably going to have to cut it off with scissors afterwards. But, uh, Are you almost done? It is yeah. there. I'm uh, I'm surprised the color still looks good, uh, uh, Curtis. They're, the Rainbow Fest shirts, like uh, the first three, 86, 87, 88, they all held up really well. I mean, they they were solid, well-done T-shirts. Now, the ones they did in the later years when the Coco started to you know come down, I think they were looking for cheaper. Those have not lasted as well. But the original threes, actually, they're, they're in good shape. They're not torn or anything else. And they use really good materials, so pretty impressive. Yeah, looks good. And then the last uh, thing I wanted to show, and I just found this when I was looking for something else completely different, because probably a lot of people have not seen this. Uh, when you entered some of the Rainbow Programming Contests, like their simulations, their adventures that they eventually made books from, they would do the actual contest and announce the winners, and you get whatever little prizes you got. And then, you know, months or years later, they would get to actually getting the books out. And I actually found the original uh, note from Rainbow here, signed by, you know, Lawrence C. Falk. Uh, sending the second Rainbow Book of Avengers to me because my Ring Quest game actually placed in it. Now, that was announced in December 84, Rainbow, I think, is when the contest winners were announced. And then this this is dated November 25th, 1985, or sorry, 86. So this was two years later when the book finally came out. But I just thought I'd show it to you guys so you can kind of see what they would send the, the recipients. And I think Ken Riker might have even have placed one of these too. So. Just to share. Oh, I'll have to wait for sharing. Uh, uh, here we go. Go ahead. Okay. And... Uh, 
So you guys can see that. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was nice. They, you know, they did the uh, you know, here's your complimentary copy. They actually give you a free copy of the book if you were published in it, and um, they also gave you the disc version, so you got all the other games without having to type them all in, which is awesome, including the real winners because I was like in I don't know, second runner up of something or other. Um, and they give you, did- kind of give you a little congratulations there too, and then it's uh, signed by Lonnie, which is kind of cool. When did you start using L? Um. I think when I started university, because that's when I started having to sign for things, hmm. using you know my bit at least part of my legal first name, and to differentiate between my dad and myself. So, but this was I was still in high school when I originally you know wrote this this game. So, cool. I just thought I'd show that because I, I don't don't think too many people have seen those, and I, I didn't realize I still had it to be honest. So it's just kind of luck I found it looking something else. And you have his autograph. Yep. Neat. Very nice. Anybody else have anything? Any last words? Happy birthday, Coco. Here's to another 40. I might get Nitrous 9 out of beta by then. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, thank you, everybody. I think we heard... uh, I want to thank all the folks on the panel today and all the folks in the live chat. We heard from so many legendary and talented folks today. We also heard from Stevie Stroh. Yeah. Uh, happy birthday to L. Curtis's mom, Glenside President Eric Canales, Tandy Color Computer 3, 34 years old, the Dragon 32, turning 38, and last but not least, the original... TRS-80 color computer and Basic 09 from Motorola and Microware, 40 years old. Yep. I I wouldn't have thought we'd still be using them today, that's for sure. No. Who would have thunk it? Um, Appreciate Richard Lorbieski jumping on the panel, Uh, Chet Simpson walking us through um, more Digger 3 updates, the return of Rondell (laughs) Vaux. Uh, Mikey Mike Furman, who uh, who's sort of been paying attention today while VCF West is for- yeah, Mike, Mike, Mikey yeah. Mike. Is it like Marky Mark? No, <laughs> Mike, no, not another Mikey new Mike nickname. and the Funky Bunch. David Ladd, who was very very excited at the beginning of the show, and we didn't hear much. For, are you David? Are you still excited? Oh, uh, <laughs> Tucker himself out. All right, I think uh, we're going to let you go back to sleep, uh, David, and uh, the Riker like brothers. It, it uh, sounds like he drank part of the uh, drink where it says doctor, but not the pepper part. Hmm. <laughs> Pat, uh, Patrick Rick Euland, um, Mark B., uh, Nicholas Moroda, and Nicholas Morentes, our two favorite Nicholases. We're on the show today, and of course you had Gopher Retro, uh, Stevie Stroh, Quinn Good, uh, Robert Allen Murphy, Dave, Mr. Dave 609 was out there. Um, the list goes on and on. Ben Drakes. I mean, it was a who's that of people uh, <laughs> available in the chat today. We appreciate it. We thank you, everybody, for all of your support. Um, next week's game, Nick, is Cash Cashman. Man. Cashman. Awesome game. I am looking forward to see what uh, what uh, Samuel Guinness does with that one. 
Yeah, to be honest. <laughs> really? That does cross my mind when I pick games sometimes. Yes, I will be talking to Samuel Gimes' manager, Ken Reichard, and uh, we're going to do a welfare check, see if ever, see what's going on over there. Um, thanks, everyone. I'm your announcer, Rob Inman. I'm at Tandy Color Computer 3. You can find me on the Color Computer Discord server. Um, thanks, everyone. We're going to play the outro, and we'll see you uh, on the other side. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8 bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Cause Coco Talk is rocking the eight big world. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the eight big world. Keeping the tiny flame alive We may be mocked, but we'll never stop Cause Coco Talk is rocking the A-B-Y Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marentes, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Stegney, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Great. Say goodbye, everyone. Good night, everyone. Bye. See you next.